Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we are watching, we just watched, uh, season one, episode one, Winter is Coming. Uh, we This is a rewatch, and we're going to have a couple of different sections in this podcast. The first is going to be a recap, where we act like we have no idea what's happening here, uh, like we're watching it for the first time, and we kind of try to avoid all spoilers. Yeah. Uh, then we're going to do some listener feedback. And then after the music, the the end uh, outro music, we will have a spoiler section where we talk about, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff that has happened in the six ensuing seasons yeah. uh, after this. And, you know, if you are rewatching with us, maybe you can check out that uh, section. If you're not, just stick around for uh, the recap and then head out at the, the outro music. For uh, the returning viewers, as Jim alluded to, where the spoiler edition might be more interesting, we're going to put the time codes for that in the show notes. So if you check out the show notes, it should be on your podcast player on baldmove.com. It'll have uh, the time you got to skip ahead, uh, more or less, to get to the spoiler section if you don't want to hear the recap. Uh, and I think that, like I do, like I do in all the podcasts, I probably will sprinkle some um, background detail. Uh, mm-hmm. where I think it's appropriate and might be useful for people that are watching the show, not something to spoil. I've always typically done a good job at that, and now that I've seen everything and read all the books and we're pretty much all caught up equally, I think I can really do that well now. Um, so Yeah, that's the interesting thing about going back and watching this uh, yes. for the for a second time, knowing as much as I know. I'm looking for how they set things up. And, like, it, I think they did an okay job with it but there's so much to set up here that that it's real difficult so really because I, I was blown away about how because i remember the first time i watched this i was not a book first reader i watched okay. the first two seasons without reading any of the books huh. uh and i remember thinking when i was reading the book holy shit i never would have made it past all the just names and descriptions right. and characters yeah. that are thrown at you in these situations because even I remember thinking this first episode is very The Wire-esque. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who are all these people? How characters. are they related? Yep. These are brothers. and They're fucking. Like, it just, just expected you to roll with it. <laughs> right. But I was impressed by how efficiently things were. I mean, I'm sure they, they spent a lot of time in the adaptation. But how efficiently things were set up. Like, we're about to get Tyrion. He's a memorable character. Let's have Kat set him up. He's a big reader. And he's a drinker and a horror. So when we see him a minute or two later, we kind of prep for it. Like, they did kind of an amazing job at introducing all these characters. Yeah, I think the stuff that... So I guess, like, they did a little bit of of groundwork with Winter, like, making it very mysterious. Like, mm-hmm. the, the idea Winter is Coming, which is the name of the episode. Uh, several people in this episode are, like, 
laying out the case kind of why winter is a big deal. And I think that they hit that pretty well. And I do think they introduced a lot of the characters really well, but some of the, the other stuff like, uh, what, what's going on? Why is this Dothraki wedding happening? Like a lot Mm. of that stuff is, I mean, there's just so much to do in this first episode. Right. That a lot of it kind of is just glossed over a little. It's funny because it seems like they took an impossible task and you're dismayed that they couldn't do it better. And I'm impressed that they did it as well as they did. Right. Right. Because it is an impossible. When you think about the political factions and the machinations and the power struggles and the Targaryens and the fact they lost it, like none of that shit is immediately obvious in the first few episodes. Right. I feel like it takes a couple of of watches. Like maybe some of that stuff is in here, but it's, it's buried pretty deep. And I do. I, I, I feel like the comparison to the wire, which I remember a lot of the critics of the day made, it was very apt that it's just like, you've got to kind of just assume that you're smart enough to keep up with it and just keep paddling. Yeah. And by the third or fourth episode, things will start to make sense. And that was that was what I did in the beginning. Like, none of the political stuff really mattered to me that much. It was the introduction of the characters and, oh, I'm having fun watching mm-hmm. Tyrion make his jokes mm-hmm. uh, about being, you know, the, one of the greatest hunters in Westeros. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, just all, all that kind of stuff is what swept me up in it and just the, the feel of Game of Thrones. Uh, it's definitely there. The other thing I wanted to talk about before we kind of get in the episode proper is I was expecting to be kind of not put off, but noticing the difference between the production values from one season to the next. This is also spoilery. Not really. I mean, because I don't I want to get in deep depth. But like if do you think that ignoring some of the super special effects of, of some things that we'll see later, do you think that the sets uh, did, or the costuming, or the makeup, or did did anything feel like it wasn't as kind of lush as it does in later seasons? Because I guess Not I really. never no. the Kingsguard look as elaborate and cool as ever. Like Winterfell is still Winterfell. Yeah, uh, uh, they're filming in the Scottish Highlands. I mean, right? It's, it's, it's like all... that's timeless. And yeah, I, and I was impressed. Like the cat, the 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 um, the outriders, that Ned Stark's outriders, when they caught up with the deserter, just like how fucking cool that looked. Yeah. And then the one messenger riding up the Winterfell, like that was a really cool establishing shot and made you kind of sit up and take notice. So I was kind of more impressed by the production values. I mean, I, I know HBO is not known for being cheap, but right. even still, like, you know, this show, as it gets more and more popular, seems like it gets more and more money in its budget. But honestly, uh, I didn't feel like this was the shabby cousin of season six. No, I mean, I think the show looks beautiful uh, top to bottom. I They they don't spare any expense or effort in getting the little details right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they had a diminished budget, but, uh, you know, I don't think there was anything crying out for, for more technical attention. No. Uh, okay. Do you, start... Anything else? Do you want to start the tearing into this episode? Yeah, let's start the recap. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, there are three fools riding their horses through a tunnel in a massive ice wall. Uh, they ride into the woods where they spot a bunch of dead bodies arranged in a circle. Mm-hmm. and Or a circle with a line through it. I, I can't tell exactly what that symbol is. Uh, but it's made of bodies. Two of them want to bug out, but Matt Damon takes them to investigate the site. <laughs> this guy looks... Am I wrong? He looks exactly like Matt Damon. Exactly? Yeah? Hmm. Like maybe a cross between Matt Damon and like a little bit of Brad Pitt. Maybe, maybe in the wow this guy this this night's watch guy is a, a handsome fellow <laughs> right i didn't notice it but I, I wasn't on the lookout for it um, okay he looks exactly like matt damon this is also uh highly unusual like game of thrones does not traditionally start with cold opens and we get a nice extended one right. uh in in the, the 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 pilot episode so the other thing as someone who's watched six seasons of this mm-hmm. watching the first episode there's no previously on. Yeah. Which, right. of course, there wouldn't be, but right. it just feels a little different. Sure, sure. Because uh, from here on out, I think you're going to get previously on. Previously on is just the HBO static symbol. You know, that's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. it's interesting because they note, they noted in the uh, making of a scene, and that's the other thing. I've got the... I've got the DVDs of every ep- uh, season of, of, of Game of Thrones have been released so far, mm-hmm. and I think, or uh, in later seasons, the Blu-ray versions, and I think they're like one of the best deals because when they first come out, you can get them on Amazon for like forty bucks, mm-hmm. and they have tons of like really lavishly illustrated backstory, like about the mythology and the gods and the history of the houses and stuff that you'd have to read like a, the A Song of Ice and Fire, the World of Ice and Fire, to get. Uh, yeah. They have tons of commentaries and whatnot, and I didn't have a chance. Uh, I, I meant to do that, but I forgot that all those stuff, all those uh, like everything up to season four is in storage. Right. So I'm going to go right. this weekend and dig that stuff out. But I know I remember there being lots of like little production tidbits and stuff that I'd, I'd like to weave in. Since this is like, yeah. you know, why are we doing this if not to do kind of like the ultimate edition of it? Um, sure. But I remember one of the things the Double D's, who, if this is your first podcast listening to us, that's what our affectionate nickname for uh, David, uh, uh, Daniel Weiss, and or da- da- David Benioff and Daniel Weiss. Yeah, I, I don't know their first it's, name. It's the, the showrunners and creators, yeah. uh, the, the, the chief adapters. Um, but the, one of the things the Double D's talked about is the reason they put this kind of um, macabre, Art from the bodies is so that people would understand that the White Walkers have an intelligence. These are not yeah. like Bigfoot or Yeti or semi, you know, semi-intelligent beings. That these, these, this is this has a direction and a will. Um, so, like, I don't think the symbols themselves are that important. Just that, hey, you notice that this is not some animal. This is somebody trying to make a statement. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like. I, I don't know. To me, the intelligence was just conveyed by the way that they killed that first guy. You know, mm-hmm. walk up behind him, slice his head off. Like, that's not something that an unthinking creature does. Uh, it, you know, they're using tools. Like, all, all the sorts of things that you associate with intelligence. True. Uh, I don't know that I needed that symbol. And actually, that symbol makes me wonder, is like, how much more is there to the, the these monsters? Hmm. Like, are they part of like some you know uh sorcery cabal sort of thing right. like why are they spelling why are they uh making symbols in the snow i guess that's another that's thing is it's not just intelligence but it implies a certain level of culture as well 
Okay, sure. You know that they yeah. they're they're trying to describe things, you know, with some kind of written or it's it's a warning or a, a as you say a rune or a, a attempt at sorcery. We don't know. Yeah. There's tons of questions. Um, I remember there's a lot of uh, uh, because you can barely see the White Walker. You can just see their piercing blue eyes, and I know that a lot yeah. of people. Um, you know, took that clip of its face and did, you know, essentially just crammed the brightness way up and you can see a lot more detail. Yeah. Uh, their, their wrinkly old visage, visage if you want to do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at this point, it's funny because we don't know who the, we don't know the Night's Watch. We don't know about the wall. That's a cool establishing shot of them riding through it. And there's little details like a brazier there to hold the torches. Mm-hmm. From the black, you know, as as the the Night's Watch Rangers ride forth, they all dump their their, their torches there. Um, maybe is that symbolic of you know the the fact that they're the Night's Watch and they're 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 kind of associated with darkness and like it's it's kind of like to mentally prepare them going through the walls. Like now you're heading into this world of darkness, which is incredibly dangerous. Right, and you get a feeling that this this other side of the wall is is the winter that people mm. keep talking about like yeah. everybody thinks the winter is dangerous the winter yeah. is coming uh and the scale of that wall right. is just enormous i mean it really impresses upon you like how how did a society like this build this giant ice wall yeah we see this roughly medieval age society yeah and yet they're accomplishing these very impressive works of engineering yeah. How did how does that happen is it do you think that um did you ever entertain that the wall was a natural feature uh, like that they just tunneled through some existing glacier formation or something. I thought it was too too perfectly formed okay. for that. Yeah. Uh because you know, it it looks uniform. Yeah. And and therefore constructed, but I don't know. I know I, I never did be. because by the time I got into Game of Thrones fandom, uh that, you know, there's enough pre-information about it that you know, like if you read the Entertainment Weekly articles, you were introduced to concepts such as the Night's Watch and what whatnot. So, like, I, right. I but I wondered if I'd gone in this completely blind, if if I had I would would think that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like it, it's definitely the kind of rough and tumble place that you don't want a cocksure commander that's dismissive of all your concerns uh, and yeah. and mocking you. You don't you don't want to go north with that kind of guy leading you. But right. unfortunately, so, these guys do. Yeah, two of them get killed, and one of them. Uh, gets gets out of there. Uh, this is something I'm later. sure we'll delve more into in the spoiler section. But why? The question we're we're I think we're supposed to wonder is why did these creatures let this man go? Are they trying to send a warning? Did he just uh, you know run really really fast? Like what? How how did he? How did he? How how? And then they don't really deal also with um you know he he says like yeah i know i should have gone and worn castle black but i didn't i was afraid um you know how did he get back south of the wall without you know alerting castle black and and all that there's some some questions i i know i had in my mind and um again maybe we can talk a little bit more in this weather section yeah uh so the survivor walks up on winterfell and is taken in by the guards uh brand's practicing his archery while his parents watch and the girls are indoors, so indoors sewing. A guy comes in to tell Lord Stark that they found a deserter from the Night's Watch, who is, you know, this guy we saw in the last scene. Cat's uh, worried that her son is a little too young to see the beheading that Ned is about to go do, but Ned says winter's coming. He needs to see this shit. Yeah. Uh, I, the one thing I noticed uh, in this scene, uh, aside from you know some really quick and efficient character introductions. 
the Winterfell overlay, the the name of the location there, yeah, is something. Spoiler alert: they don't do in later seasons. Yeah, so it was it was cool to see that because at least like early on when you get your first introduction to a location, it's nice to have that. So you can kind of say, "All right, I know where I am. I know what to call this place." Yeah. Uh, I guess they say Winterfell. They do a couple times in the episode. Yeah. Well, and I think that maybe they didn't because the histor- history about the adaptation is kind of interesting because there was a whole pilot shot and then scrapped. Wow. And then they recast a lot of key portions. And there's a few there's a few pieces of footage that still survive into the – well, probably be more than a few. Um, but but they, they recast a lot of roles and, and, and did, did a considerable amount of reshooting. And I wonder if, you know, when they're doing the filming, they're like – I, this, you know, the thing that makes this work is like this is vast world and there's people moving around and there's multiple locations. We have to have some really good establishing shots. Yeah. And then they had to, you know, they, they farmed out the credit sequence and it turns out like that. I feel like that how much of the success of the show can you attribute to the credit sequence? Because that does such a great job, especially in early seasons where, you know, I, I think in the later seasons when there's some new locations, they, they kind of lose the plot and they do weird things with the camera movement and they almost fool people. Right. But in, especially in the first seasons, like that map tells you exactly where shit is going down and you feel grounded in the world at all time. Yeah. In a, in a much more effective way than just because, you know, like Winterfell, where the hell's Winterfell? It's in the north. Well, how far north? The uh-huh. King's Landing. What the fuck is Pintos? Where across the Narrow Sea? Where's the Narrow Sea? Is it east or west? The in in sixty seconds, the credit sequence tells you all that stuff. Yeah, and a super cool, interesting way with the Game of Thrones theme going. Like, I wonder how much of the success of the show you could put to where that just really helped ground people, and right. and and they knew where things were going and headed. And when new int- locations were introduced, you automatically knew where they were in relation to all the others because you went around the map to see it. Yeah, no, I and and it's like you said, it's not just you know informational either it's also really cool looking yes like, i love the the kind of clockwork feel that it has to it i still get excited when a new location like that's you know yeah uh it, 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 from so time detailed. to time new locations pop up and these it, it's it's a joy to see these clockwork things just spin out and things deploy yeah. and things lock into place it's such a clever idea Yep. Uh, they, you know, the the production company responsible for doing it d- deserves kudos because I think I think that um, if you if you essentially took like a show like The Wire and then had it happen across <laughs> the entire world, right. like what a clusterfuck that would be. Whereas like this is just essentially a small portion of Baltimore. Uh-huh. Well, Game of Thrones, this credit sequence solved that. Like it, I think it did eliminate some barriers to entry for people because even if you could, you could see the faces. And I, there's a lot of memes in the first season where people like, you know, that's uh, Dan and, and uh, this is, uh, you know, Sean Bean and like all the different. This is the Fat King and this is they, they would you, because that's how people. You, you can't get everyone's names. So you just like, oh, this Not is the, this the, is the sister watch, fucker yeah. and that's the brother fucker, right? And that's the little guy. Like, I feel like if you had the faces and you had the locations, that's all you needed to know to know what was going on. Yeah. I can imagine this, like, MacGyver-style intro. Yeah. You're doing, like, uh-huh. oh, it shows Ned Stark beheading a guy and smiling and winking at the camera. <laughs> sure. And uh-huh. then it says Ned Stark at the bottom. Like, all right. That would not work at all. Uh, I also thought that this scene, again, I want to praise the efficiency of the characterization because you've got, you know, establishing... 
so many things in this one scene. Like Bran, he wants to be, you know, grow up to be this great warrior. Yep. Not quite there. His sister, who is uh, uh, Arya, who's pressured to be a lady, rebels against it and is already shooting arrows better than him. Sansa is that perfect lady being right. groomed by her mother to be this princess. And, and she's just taken to the role and feels most at home there and is annoyed by her tomboy sister. The fact that, like, cats mean mugging Jon Snow, like, you don't know the significance of that, but, like, they are really laying a lot. Um, and also... Yeah, and it's peppered throughout the episode, too. It's yeah. not just in the, you know, the one scene that each character gets as an introduction. It's, yeah. This whole first episode is introducing characters throughout. Yeah. And, I, like, Robert later telling Bran, oh, looks like you're going to be a warrior when you grow up. Right. Like, that's what he wants to be. You right. can tell. Uh, the, the other... The other part of the dialogue that's real efficient like they tell you not only with that intro they tell you you know where things are but they kind of tell you scale too because cersei gets out of the carriage and she's like oh we've been riding for a month do you really yeah. want to go to the crypts right so you get the idea that there's about a month's travel between king's landing and and winterfell yeah I, and i think the most important thing you can understand um just kind of by sight is how much the starks as a family love each other right like yeah. there's some questions like "Ooh, what's going on john snow and also um you know this the steon character it seems like he's a bit of an outsider too Mm-hmm. But even still, you see, like, you know, hey, this wouldn't be a bad place to grow up. Like, yeah. the parents are involved. They love each other. They love their kids. The kids love each other after a fashion. And and things look kind of idyllic. And you sort of get the opposite impression about the Lannisters. Lannisters. The, uh, yes. Just, Tyrion doesn't even want to be seen with his family. He's out drinking and whoring. Uh, Cersei's married and fucking her brother. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, Problems, and then you go family. the other family dynamic, the Targaryens with Viserys and oh, Daenerys. God. It's like, whole, yeah. I forgot how fucking terrible Viserys is. Yes, yeah. he's he's. Oh my god, he's the worst. <laughs> I mean, he really at least is. Ja- at least Cersei loves Jaime and appreciates uh-huh. the attention. This guy is just a fucking creeper. In, in, in addition to being a shit and, uh, you know, uh, a, just just a general unpleasant person. Yeah. And just, oh, God, entitled, and he just, he's got such a punchable face. I guess I, supp- I should I should wait until until we get a little bit further further on. Yeah, for sure. Let's go to Ned taking the deserter out to the hills and chains. Uh, the guy says, hey, I saw White Walkers. I'm not going to apologize for that. Winter's coming, bitch. And then mm-hmm. Ned cuts his head off. Yep. Bran doesn't look away. <laughs> nope. Nope. Afterward, he, he goes to Bran and he asks uh, if he knows why he had to kill him. Uh-huh. And then Bran's like, uh, sure, Dad. Ned's like, no, no. Do you really know? Uh-huh. person who uh, delivers a sentence should be the one to carry it out. Uh, Bran asks if the guy actually saw the White Walkers. And Ned says, eh, crazy people see crazy things. Yeah, essentially uh, trying to assure Bran. Um, also, this is another you know shows that how honorable that the Starks are. Like they're the type of you know yeah. th- that 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 he's the, not going to delegate the the worst parts of the job. And this isn't something like you know Ned is just waiting in his castle like oh I get to kill someone today yeah like th- right. there's a weight to yeah. this and he takes uh, response you know responsibility and a measure of uh, you know not guilt but he's he's appropriately aware of how the gravitas have taken a man's life and all of his men too yeah. like you know uh, you know the the guy with his uh, <laughs> his sideburns tied underneath his chin uh, Surat uh, he he's he's even like I just everybody look from top to bottom everybody seems like they're class acts in the Stark family seems like it 
And then I know they're not in the family, but they're his bannermen and his his yeah, yeah. loyal supporters. They're the good guys. Sure. Uh, so then Ned and his sons go into the woods, and they find a moose that's dead and also a dead dire wolf. I think wolf. you call that a stag. Is it a stag? Okay. Uh, there are a bunch of dire wolf cubs that uh, have survived, and they take them in against Ned's better judgment after kind of Bran and John both plead with him. Uh, actually, Bran's pleading. John's more like... Yeah, there's six of them, or there are five of them. Yeah, and there's five of your five, children, five and of your kids. Your your house sigil is the dire wolf. Like it seems like it's meant to be. I can't remember if if they've said yet that John is a bastard uh, and that he's not kind of viewed as a child of the Starks. Well, they, or so they hint. Theon says, "Oh, you get the runt of the litter when you he finds the yeah, sixth so white that, wolf." But they haven't actually, I think, spelled right, out that but, he's a bastard. But, like more importantly, you're like, isn't. Isn't John his kid? Why is he saying right. there are five kids? This is weird. And who's this Theon guy? Is he just chopped liver? Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. yeah. And so later on when, you know, he has a conversation with Tyrion and it's all right. bastard this, bastard that. Right. You start to understand more. Uh, but it's puzzling up front. And I begin to continue that you can tell that there's a bit of tension between John and, like, Theon and the rest of the family. You mm-hmm. know, Theon bristles at Bran and says, I only take orders from your father, not my father. These, right. again, are all, yeah. you know, you're not, I think you subconsciously take this all this in, so later when the pieces come together, you're not like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, it's, I think I, it's really good writing. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, they must have really sweated the details of these first few episodes, because they had to. If, if this doesn't land, then no one's going to come back and rewatch. Right. But it's, and it also has to be, like, tons of exposition, but also still fun mm-hmm. and engaging, or else people aren't going to watch. Yeah, and it, uh, <laughs> it has almost a... Uh... Shire-esque quality in some ways in Winterfell. Mm, yeah. Where, you know, kids are playing and sure. running around teasing each other and right. everything seems so nice There's no fear here. There's no right. lawlessness. Everything is calm and, and, and loving, even though it's kind of, you can tell the train is harsh and forbidding. And even later on, yeah. Catelyn makes apologies to Cersei about, like, you know, Winterfell's pretty humble compared to King's Landing. So even yeah. though this is kind of like the, the ass end of Westeros... Uh, you know, home is where the heart is, and there's a lot of heart in this home. And by the end of it, it kind of, like, that facade comes down a little bit, you know? I mean, I don't think it's just a facade. I think that's built into Winterfell, but also, you know, there's a murder plot. Like, the king's in trouble. Ned's got to save him. Like, he's got to do some some dirty deeds here, maybe. Sure. It's shocking. It is. And it, it gives you real, like, on that. You, you you know, it's, it's shocking when a little boy gets thrown out of the window, but sure. because of all this has been built up, you really like it's a real gasp gasp moment. Yeah. I mean, I remember like I was hooked. Like you, I I was already thinking this is a pretty fucking good show. And Jamie chucks that dude out the window, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> right. god! It feels like a different kind of show. It's t- yeah, not one that's gonna pull punches, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Uh, we go to a funeral taking place in King's Landing. Uh, Jamie and Cersei are talking about whether John Aaron told uh, anyone about something involving them there's like hints that of what we later find out is them doing the deed yeah i remember first watching the scene this was incomprehensible like who the fuck is this dude he's got stones on his eyes he's been he's he's dead now and he's a hand and what the hell is a hand and And i don't feel like they do a great job of of delving into that this episode but i don't know if they need to but they do i still admire the way they're laying tracks because they're like 
every sentence they say establishes a relationship like mm-hmm. uh oh you're my brother and you are married to the king so i guess that makes you the queen and right uh they have a secret that if it was found out her husband the king would kill them both uh-huh um and the fact that they established that whatever the hand is it's a shit job because you don't live long and your days are long i mean like again i was like wow every single sentence there's not a single wasted word here and it shows the difference between their personalities jamie's very cavalier about the whole thing yeah whereas cersei is very worried about it and also just the stuff in the background like where you have these silent sisters having this vigil and it shows you you know, how alike this world is to ours, but also, like, you're immediately confronted with different religion systems and different funera- funerary practices to show that this is not, this is also not the world we're familiar with. Yeah, those those stones on the eyes, those freak me out. Yeah, yeah. Those are creepy as hell. <laughs> uh, so we go back to Ned cleaning up uh, his blade under this this really pretty tree uh, in this grove that it seems surprisingly out of place, like, given all of the 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 colder stuff going on he doesn't have his coat his cape on he's like mm-hmm. it seems like a weird atmosphere there uh like an idyllic place mm-hmm. and then cat comes up and tells ned that john aaron's dead uh she also says that the king is riding up to winterfell and ned seems sort of bothered by it he's a little and, worried and she she you can tell doesn't want him to accept this um for reasons that are not clear and you can also tell that he's not the type that's going to shirk away from a responsibility except so they, what the he hasn't been asked about the the hand stuff no but yet. she says that there's only one reason king oh, robert right. would ride a month here and it's to offer you the position of the hand okay and he okay. looks troubled but and she says please you know you can always decline mm-hmm. but you can just tell by the set of his face that like if his king comes up and offers him a position that he's going to have to feel duty-bound to to accept. Yeah. Uh, so Cat readies the castle for the king's arrival, and the boys get their, their shaves and their haircuts. Bran climbs down the tower in spectacularly dangerous fashion. I mean, yes. he is just L- bouncing lots, lots around. Lots of little boy parkouring going on. <laughs> yeah, there is. Cat uh, spots him and makes him promise not to climb anymore and then sends him off to find his father. And the king and his entourage arrive in. Mm-hmm. They they arrive at Winterfell. There are some a uh, couple meet and greets here with all the kids and Robert. Uh, king Robert demands to see the crypts, and Tyrion's nowhere to be found. Yeah. So the other thing I noticed when I was watching this episode is that um, I know something we talk about in later seasons, but I felt the beefcake to cheesecake ratio was about one to one. Like for all the bare chested Roz. Who are the cheesecakes? You had Roz, you know. You, you got. With her full natural breast and then the three other whores that join her. So there's your cheesecake. For your beefcake, you got all the Stark men and, and Theon, bare chested. Oh, I thought, strapping. I thought. Okay, cheesecake. I thought you were using that to. To talk about fat dudes, like real <laughs> large dudes. What? You hear the word I've never heard the term really? cheesecake. Really? Okay. No. Yes. And juxtaposed against beefcake, I thought it was the opposite of beefcake. <laughs> no, no, no. Like the, the eye candy for the ladies is about equally balanced with eye candy okay. to men. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you I know. I suppose so. Bare chest to bare chest. They, they do have, yeah, the, the scene of, of them getting shaved. I guess that's beefcake status for, yeah i think for it's like you know obviously that is uh an expository scene with the dudes with their shirts off right. for no real reason and that sure. felt kind of fair and balanced to me 
Yeah, you don't have to get your you don't have to take your shirt off to get shaved. I don't. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I usually shave in the shower, but uh, on the, in the rare instances I do. Off. But yeah, I <laughs> never nude, man. <laughs> no, never. What are you going to do? Take a chance? Someone's going to open the door, right? See, see your shame. Uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't quite got to the uh, the quote unquote cheesecake part. No, but we'll get there. Uh, th- they do a lot of really quick stuff here to to show you what kind of. You know, a little more characterization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bran is is constantly lying to his parents, and he's being a kid, right? right. He's just living a kid's life, right? Uh, but but he's living a super dangerous kid's life. <laughs> sure, uh, his mom's rightfully worried, and uh, still, like Arya is very concerned about Tyrion. She wants to meet Tyrion. Why does yeah. she want to meet Tyrion so much? I think it's because he's a little bit of a freak, and she's, she's never kind seen of like, like she wants to see. She's a tomboy, and she wants to see the the monster, the the weird guy. Right. Um, I, oh, I really do like. And she's like running Arya. around in a half helm, which I thought yeah. was really cool too. In her ridiculous helmet and cloak, and, and uh-huh. you can see this sort of rebellious, unladylike spirit that manifests later in food fights and like sure all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and and Prince Joffrey rides up, and he looks like a handsome lad. Sure. And Sansa's giving him the eyes. Yeah, that's going to be the romance of the ages. Yep. Uh, it's funny also that Robert can barely get off his horse. See, that's where I thought you were going with this cheesecake thing. Because <laughs> oh, no, no. Robert can barely get off his horse. He needs st- he needs a stool. Like, well, to be he, fair, he takes two tries to swing his leg over. It's bad news. To be fair, canonically, Robert has trouble pushing himself away from cheesecake of any form. Like, is if you're <laughs> right. if you're offering him cheesecake, it's he doesn't have to ask whether it's a woman or a literal cheesecake. <laughs> yes, 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 bring me the cheesecake and a, right. and a horn of wine. Yep. Uh, and then he, you know, makes that ridiculous joke about Ned getting fat, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so d- down in the crypts, uh, they also established it's been nine years since they've said they, they're yes. such close friends and they've won. And, and at some point, uh, we find out in the crypts that Ned has helped him win a war, win, win a war, but it's been nine years since they've seen each other. Yeah. Which is kind of like, Hmm. Uh, so Ned and Robert joke around for a minute before Robert essentially names him hand of the King, or at least asks him to be, uh, and then says they'll join their houses via their children. Uh, I guess get married and. Yeah, established that there was at one point that that Robert the King loved Ned's sister and that something tragic obviously happens and she's down in the crypts uh, and not married to him. But, uh, yeah, he wants to join their houses the way they should have been by wedding their children. Yep. Uh, We go over to Tyrion, finally, who's drinking and fucking a whore. Jaime busts in, tells him he needs to come to the feast. And he lets a bunch more whores in to finish off Tyrion quickly so he can attend. Yeah, bad form to serve all the courses at once. I hate that. Like, you know, yeah, you get the well, salad, and 30 seconds later, they get the entrees, and then they're pushing for dessert. Like, hey, man, yeah, look at your dessert menu. 45 minutes from now, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jamie's a terrible waiter. Terrible waiter. He really is. <laughs> uh, Tyrion doesn't seem to mind, though. No, no. He'll take all the courses right now. Yep, he's a glutton. Uh, I don't have much to say about this scene other than there's your cheesecake. And also, it's like there, it's a great establishing of Tyrion and like the fact that uh, yeah. you can tell by the way Tyrion talks about his sister that he's not the biggest fan, but him and Jamie seem to get along all right. So, Well, I mean, also just like the very first shot you see of Tyrion is he's, him guzzling wine as and he's getting, getting a blowjob. Blown, right. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is who this guy is. Yep, yep. So Robert laments the death of Ned's sister at her crypt. And Ned says, it's done, and reminds him that the Targaryens are gone. And Robert says, not all of them. 
And then boom, we cut right over to Daenerys. Which is in Pintos across the narrow sea. Yes. And we get a little title card there that, that says so. Um, her brother, who we find out is Viserys, brings her a dress as a gift from some guy named Illyrio, who I don't think we ever see. No, no. He's the guy with the kind of forked beard that uh, oh, gives he? a lot of cultural wisdom. To okay. Come. Gotcha. Uh, there's a wedding taking place later on, and it's hers. Uh, he strips her and touches her very disturbingly in a way that a brother shouldn't touch a sister. And What, you've never perked up your sister's nipples? I don't have a sister. That's the only I've, reason you have that, obviously. Well, That's obviously. just something you do. Like on the day of your you make sure she's at her perkiest. <laughs> right. Obviously, what the fuck? No, that's not <laughs> something anyone should do. It's super disturbing. Do you think... Um, I, did, did, are they implied that they've had some kind of non-consensual romantic relationship? I don't know what they're doing Sexual, here. I should say it's, sexual, not romantic. I, I don't know. Or is this just a um, way that he's... Is he clearly controlling his sister? Is this a method of yeah. keeping her off balance? It could be. It could be. Um, he, he could just be a sadistic fuck, too. Like, he, he says you don't, want a, you don't want the dragon to rear its head or yeah, whatever. Yeah, wake the dragon. Yeah, you don't want to wake the dragon, which is implying, you know, you make me mad. Right. And do some bad things to you. I need uh, you to be perfect. That's that's not right. too much pressure to put on someone. <laughs> sure. But but I wonder, like, when they show Jamie and Cersei's relationship, and they're obviously fucking, there's obviously a sexual relationship there, mm-hmm. and they show Viserys and Daenerys' relationship, mm-hmm. they feel very similar. Um, you know, not from Daenerys' side, but from Viserys' side. It's just like, these are both incestual-type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them feels like maybe they actually love each other. The other one feels like... right. Real gross. I mean, it doesn't even seem like Viserys thinks of Daenerys as anything but a chip that he can cash in to right. get his throne back. Yeah, uh, he doesn't see her as a as a human or a, a person with her own agency or mm-hmm. wants or desires at all. And, and sure. to the extent that he says that he ascribes to her wants and desires as the things that he wants, like you want your yeah. home back, you want to do it, and like. So I yeah, it's super gross. Uh the Syrian needs to eat a bag of dicks and then die. Uh we'll see how that ends up. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh also so she he, yeah, he leaves and she gets into a very hot bath. Which I thought when I when I first saw that my take on that that she, that was kind of like a case of masochism that she was yeah. um deliberately hurting herself to kind of distract from the emotional pain she's feeling in these sure. scenes. Yeah. Uh Definitely, I think you you can certainly read it like that. Hard to read though, because I remember I was super critical of her performance early going. Uh, I thought yeah. that she had this kind of like bovine beauty to her, but just like just blank, lots of blank stares and not much. And it's very hard to tell what was really going on to her in in her head, and like you know what kind of capabilities that she might have. And I don't know that that's um, an undesired feeling no, toward that character it like i think they might direction. be playing into it yeah um as she's just a, a hollow shell of a woman yeah. at this point she's you have been... not been allowed to blossom in any way under right. your brother's iron rule yeah uh and you're just kind of sleepwalking through life with this kind of dread in the pit of your stomach yeah especially when we know what's coming up which is the the cal drogo uh wedding uh, they the Cal Drogo rides up with some other Dothraki at his side and holy Danny's shit, it's Aquaman. <laughs> was he Aquaman before this or no? After this? No, he was okay. well after this. Uh, he checks. He, her he out. had to be he had to be Conan first. 
before he became. Oh, that's right. He was Conan. Too. Yeah, everyone forgets about it. He was in a decent Conan that no yeah. one watched. Uh, he checks her out and he rides off. And then Viserys advisor says uh, he liked her because he didn't kill everyone. He didn't let us know he didn't. <laughs> In uh, whatever way that might have, whatever form that might have taken. Yeah, Dothraki culture, rough around the edges, you find that in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, uh, they talk a little bit about crossing the sea to take back his family's throne. And Danny says, I don't want to marry Drogo. And she wants to go home. Viserys, in his super creepy way, says, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Right. What, uh, like the... You know, if it takes 40,000 horses fucking you. Right. No problem. Let's right. do this. Uh, also, did you, I mean, did you catch that Illyrio is very condescending to Viserys and he just isn't smart enough to see it? Well, he should be. I mean, this guy is, is making a pact with a culture that he doesn't understand in any way. Right. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know anything about Has these people. no innate power, and yet he treats these people with utter contempt. And yeah. Again, like he treats Danny. They're just a tool. Like, well... Uh, you know, I purchased this tool with the coin of my sister, and now yeah. I want to screw my screwdriver. And... He's like me if I bought, like, a lathe or something. Yeah, like, exactly. I don't fucking know how to use this thing. I just know right. it's a tool right. that might get me what I want. Right. I, I might be able to make a chair leg with this thing. Yeah. And... Uh, he just doesn't know how to wield it, I don't think. And again, a lot of deft uh, exposition, like you're talking about the Dothraki culture and how the longer their hair, the more badass they are because they only cut their hair when they get defeated in battle. And yeah. this Drogo guy's got dreadlocks or a ponytail swinging down to his knees. He's mm-hmm. never been defeated in battle, you find out. He's one of the finest killers alive. See, I never understood this. I do not understand when you get defeated in battle, don't you die? Don't you? Not always, but wouldn't you most of the time die when you're defeated in battle? What good does cutting a ponytail of well, a dead I mean, person do? I don't do? think any fighting force fights to the last man. So you're so it's a retreat. Yeah. So a retreat. If you lose a battle, would, then, then okay. the, you're you're defeated that kind of way. Yeah. So assuming you don't get surrounded and overwhelmed and right. killed, right? They cut off your ponytail. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, so Cat does Sansa's hair while they talk about Ned's new position as Hand of the King, or whether or not he's going to take it, and what that might mean for their family. Um, Sansa would have to leave with Ned and marry Joffrey, and she's she's in on it. She loves that idea. Yeah, and she she's actually all about it. Pleads with her mother to to make it happen. I could be queen someday. It's all I've ever wanted. Please make father say. Sansa's yeah. super annoying in the early goings here. Yeah, she's she's real she's annoying. thirteen. She's what are you going to do? Yeah. She's been she's been brought she's up so... to think that this is the pinnacle of life's existence, and here it is within her reach. And this Joffrey guy's good looking, and yeah. what are you going to do? I mean, I get it. Like, sure, if that's the life you want, if you want the fancy life, I identify more with Arya. I think Arya sure. is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, flinging food at her sisters right. and and just running around having fun, right? Teasing her brothers. No one's going to put me in their box of expectations. I'm going to wear yeah. a helmet and shoot an arrow and fling food at my sister. Fuck you all. Yeah. Uh, then we go to John practicing his swordsmanship later on that night when his uncle Benjen rides up. And John says, oh, I wasn't invited to the royal feast because I'm a bastard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benjen says he's always welcome on the wall. Kind of as, you know, a joke. John says, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, okay, let's, yeah. Okay. Sign me up. You got the papers? <laughs> right. But Benjamin doesn't want him to, uh, because it means, you know, giving up everything, giving up family, giving up uh, future, all of that, and devoting yourself to the the defense of the wall. And John, like Arya, is not giving thought to, or not Arya, uh, Sans is not giving thought to anything beyond uh, 
you know, I'm not living up to my potential in this family and I want some kind of honor and, and valor. And I've heard all these stories about the wall and my uncle, my badass uncle's up there. I, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And, you know, his his family doesn't seem to be treating him all that well. I mean, he's not no. invited to this fucking feast. Right. You you bastard, go stay outside. Right. Uh, so, not cool. And no, then no. And then Tyrion comes up and kind of, you know, uh, commiserates with him a little bit. Like, John doesn't he, see it as that. He's antagonistic but... at first. He's sure. like, oh, hey, bastard. What are you doing, bastard, bastard? But he's teaching him, just like even the whores in town call him the imp, which he says is not my favorite nickname. Right. He's essentially trying to teach him a point. This whole, you need to embrace your identity like armor because then no one can hurt you with it. Yeah. Whereas if you go around like a brooding fucking jackass about it all the time, then you're just going to be, you're going to be, you know, death by a thousand bastards. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, then Benjen goes up to Ned inside the feast, and he talks about the ranger that he beheaded. Benjen seems to think that the guy was telling the truth about the walkers, um, and he kind of lays out all the signs that winter is coming, <laughs> least of which is uh, Ned being named Hand of the King. I don't know if he's saying that I believe him, but it's more like it's not as dismissive as 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 you might think at the beginning like this fact that he's a madman like I mean, maybe he is because he didn't come back with his right. his fellow brothers maybe murdered them and, and left them for dead out there but but he was saying he's like a respectable yes, brother he was a there. true he's ranger not, yeah. and, and and tough he's not uh, some lunatic he's not a crazy person right uh and then cat and cersei talk a bit and sansa comes up and cersei's complimentary of her the is eyeing her dress saying oh that's nice did you make it yeah i did have you bled to make me something <laughs> yeah she she gets a little personal but yeah you know if you're gonna marry her son she yeah i guess she's gonna be concerned about that stuff also lots of characterization because robert is just winching right in front of the queen and you can see her just stare <laughs> oh, daggers at him the whole time like right it's one thing to be kind of discreet about it, but he's like, nope, I'm essentially going to mount a woman right here on the feasting table. Uh-huh. Goddamn. Goddamn, King Robert. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, Jamie tries to get under Ned's skin about being the hand of the king, but in my opinion, Ned Ned handles it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about this scene, other than you really get a good sense of Jamie's very cavalier attitude toward everything, not just... And they also said the fact that, like, ooh, I can't wait to see these guys fight. They do, yeah. Like, like they really said it. I don't do it. tournaments because uh, I like to <laughs> – I don't want the people I'm really yeah. going to fight knowing how I fight. Yeah, by this time I'd already decided – it's weird because I, I liked Tyrion instantly. I decided that Cersei and Jaime were kind of shitbags, and Ned obviously is a fucking hero – so they're yeah. gonna they're gonna lay down a sword shadow. I'm gonna pick it up and be like, "All right, I'm gonna count the episodes until these guys cross swords." Yeah, because that should be pretty entertaining. Should be. So Ned and Cat are lying in bed discussing the king's offer. Cat doesn't want him to go. Um, then the maester comes in and says, "I've got a letter from your sister in the Erie." Cat uh, reads the letter. She burns it, and then she says, "Hey, this letter said that John Arryn was murdered and the king is in danger." And then the, the Lannisters are implicated too, right? Lannisters are implicated, and then Cat and the Maester sort of play angel and devil on Ned's sure. shoulder, like in a very visually obvious way. Yes, yes. Uh, arguing about whether he should become the Hand of the King because Ned's the best person to protect Robert from the Lannisters, but and also it's his friend, and he has like some kind of duty to him. Yep. It's... But then Cat's laying out the other case, like yo, hands, hands be being murdered by the Lannisters or this powerful family, and yeah. 
You don't want to get mixed up in this. We got a good thing going up here in the north, Ned. What the hell? Yeah, and the other like very small detail is they show a lot of scars on Ned's chest, which he's, he's got kind of his open yeah. bed, bed robe there, and, and it, sh- it it really implies that he has seen a lot of shit, and he is a good fighter. And, and, and Kat mentioned you've spent half your life fighting in Robert's Wars. Right. Also, your brother and father rode south to King's Landing at behest of a king once, and yeah. didn't end well for them. We don't know the full story behind that, but like these are all emotional mental and physical scars that ned has buried in service or has buried in service to robert and looks like he might get some more yeah uh danny and drogo's wedding is underway there's a lot of fighting and fucking and then someone's killed which seems to be perfectly normal at a dothraki wedding yeah we're at least one third of the way to being a acceptable dothraki wedding yep uh and i i guess the party continues after they ride off and there are two more murders, I hope. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Just to seal the deal. Right. Let, let, let Drogo know that two more people got killed. So yeah. It's, it's official. <laughs> so, it's a legit marriage. Uh, this guy named Jorah Mormont brings a few books to Danny and introduces himself. Then there are three dragon eggs that are brought to her. And finally, Drogo brings her a white horse, and they ride off together to a bluff where Drogo strips uh, a very frightened Danny before consummating their marriage. Uh Let's let's talk about a little bit about the procedure of the wedding here. Apparently, there's there's part of the ceremony is this gifting, where many people come and present the the new queen with or Khaleesi as mm-hmm. they call it with uh, gifts. Yeah, yeah. I want to know who brought the snakes. Just because you found a nice box and you walked out in the wilderness for a couple hours with a, with a, a pillowcase and a stick. Like, come on! There's dragon eggs and and, yeah. and heirloom books. Snakes are a dime and, dozen. and silver mares. You're getting, you're bringing two snakes. What the hell? Right. Who invited this guy? Yeah. And does he get disemboweled? <laughs> uh, he should. He should. But I, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I'm not certain why they, you know, stick so long on Jorah. I mean, he probably is going to be a character if he's g- named. Because like the dragon person, dragon egg person, not named. That's Illyrio. Oh, that's Illyria. Yeah. God, Illyria's given the best gifts, man. I know. He's given dresses, dresses and dragon eggs. Dragon eggs. He's he's balling. You you get the and then he's got this big Holy palace. Shit. He's got personal guards. Like you get the impression that he is kind of big shit in Pintos. All right. And he's brokered this power deal. And you know, Viserion Viserius uh, Viserius assumes it's because uh, he wants to be you know remembered when he comes into his throne. Yeah. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because I okay. any, my 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 gut tells me anything Viserys says is probably wrong. So okay, sure. Uh, I, I'm thinking that there might be some something a little bit uh, more that he's missing here. Yeah, he seems clueless. I'm with you. Uh, but then the other thing is, uh, uh, it's it's a bad deal for Danny because the at the end she just essentially gets raped by Drogo. Yeah, it's uh, she got sold in as chattel into this marriage, and and then. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's bad news for consent when your husband only knows the word no. Uh, yeah. It doesn't give a shit anyway. Uh, more on that in the spoiler section. Okay. Uh, we go back over to Ned, and after accepting King Robert's offer, he rides off sort of as, as Bran looks on. And some, some people go with him, like I saw Rob went with him. We're going to have a celebratory boar hunt. Yeah. Uh, so it... Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Bran wants to watch his father leave, so he climbs up a tower and accidentally peeps Jamie and Cersei getting it on in the tower. Yeah, Dothraki style. 
<laughs> is, that, is that what it's called in Westeros? This is doggy. Yeah, it's Dothraki style. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they spot him. And Jamie goes over and pushes him out the window. Just yep. shoves him to the ground. The things I do for love. Yeah. Uh, this scene starts out like so much fun. I mean, Tyrion's so, over there adorable. joking. Adorable. The little direwolf pup is, is playing right. around at Bran's feet. And, yep. Bran's hopping around on the wall, having a good time. He wants to watch his dad leave. And then, boom, he gets it. Uh I don't know what else to say about this. It's super, super shocking, and it really does set up the show as being different. Right. Like, not a lot of shows can I recall where a kid is murdered, right? Like, from the jump. Yeah. I mean, this is a show that is saying, this is what we're about. We yeah. are going to murder a child right in front of you and then say, now what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's the thing. Like, Game of Thrones built its – kind of made its bones in the first few seasons being the show that, like, it just didn't give a fuck. You like yep. this family. You think it's you think it's sweet and, and you, you want to the, the see them win. Well, fuck what you want. Now the child's murdered. Right. You Bad know? things are going to happen I dare to you to like another character to form an intense emotional attachment. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's they, they, they really set the expectation up uh, early that this is going to be a different kind of show. Uh, all right, that's it for the recap. We we cut to credits there. Hey, just a quick reminder on how you can support Bald Move and why that's important. Uh, we the only reason we're able to do this, uh, you know, after the season, go back and backfill our catalog is because we do this on an independent, uh, full time podcasting basis. If we had our day jobs, we would be relieved to be done with Game of Thrones, and we'd be taking some bread. We wouldn't have had three podcasts out a week and all this other stuff. So if you like the a, a depth and the breadth of coverage that we offer here at Bald Move, and not just this, like we're starting up Mr. Robot this week. Mm-hmm. We're concluding game, uh, uh, Orange is the New Black. We're going to have uh, uh, the Walking Dead and Westworld coming up uh, later in the year. You're doing Halt and Catch Fire. We, get, we got stuff year-round that's is of interest if you're a fan of quality dramatic television. Uh, you can support us at our club, club.baldmove.com. Uh, it's inexpensive to join. You get a lot of benefits. You get ad-free feeds. So you never you never have to listen to me drone on about this club stuff again. Uh, you get extra bonus features and content. You can watch the majority of our videos being recorded live. It's the quickest way to get the podcast. Uh, and you know we have a bonus content, VIP forum features, lots of stuff that you get for very little in return. Go to club.baldmove.com. But we get it. Some people don't want to pay for podcasts or don't want the commitment of a month-to-month or annual deal. Uh, there's still a way you can help us out. Do you shop online with Amazon? Great way to get birthday presents and Christmas presents and the like. Uh, and uh, just you know, just general shopping. Like Amazon's got great uh, features, got, got great item selection, like a near-infinite item selection and attractive shipping features and uh, uh, the like. And you can support us by using Amazon.bald move.com that redirects you to the Amazon homepage. The only difference is now you're loaded with your cart with love for bald move. And we get a small cut out of everything you buy on that session only. So uh, all that stuff adds up. We get a, a lot of revenue from the uh, uh, Amazon affiliate link. And again, all you got to do is remember to do amazon.baldmove.com when you want to go to Amazon and it's all taken care of you automatically uh, and we appreciate everyone that uses those ways to support us. It's the way we can do what we do. Hey, just want to remind everyone that this is the, not just final week, this is like the final day. Uh, we're cutting off orders for the ha- House Snow t-shirt tomorrow. Uh, 
and uh, getting the final numbers to our shirt vendor and getting all those made and then shipped out to people. So if you want to get in on this uh, limited edition uh, house snow t-shirt concept design, uh, go to baldmove.com slash shop, check out in our merch section. It's, it's there. Uh, and again, this is a pre-order. We won't have these in your hands for another like four to six weeks because we're having these made custom. Uh, they're printed on high quality t-shirts uh, with, uh, you know, a, a dark gray, like a charcoal shirt with the, the, the design on white. So if you want to see what it looks like, it's, it's the house, no snowflake with the house words. We know nothing. Uh, if you, if you want to rock that bald move pride, there's a small bald move logo on the back. Uh, you can go to baldmove.com slash shop. Uh, also want to again, remind everybody about our appearance at the, uh, Huntsville rocket city or Huntsville, Alabama rocket city nerd con in October. Uh, go to rocketcitynerdcon.org for all the details about that and how you can purchase tickets. We're going to be moderating several panels uh, that we're excited about and uh, uh, meeting and greeting people and uh, probably getting you know into some trouble at some brew pubs in the evenings. Uh, but uh, yeah, go to rocketcitynerdcon.org for all the details about that. And uh, I think that's it for the, the offers for this week. Do we have uh, feedback we want to do? We do. And as I think it's going to be probably pretty standard that we got a light feedback section, but then a heavy spoiler section. Yeah. Because, you know, I, th- I feel like 90, 99% of the people that are listening to this have, have seen the, uh, uh, the, 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 the series from the beginning. But uh, we're keeping it spoiler free for the folks that haven't because mm-hmm. we love you guys. Uh, but anyway, yeah, feedback. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Uh, you can send it there, and there's also you can discuss with our fellow fans at the forums, forums.baldmove.com. Let's get things started. Jessica C. from Atlanta, who makes the following observations. I made myself wait until today to start my rewatch, so the premiere would be fresh in my mind for the podcast. And I have to say, it was very epic. Pretty epic for a season premiere, even in hindsight. Some people complained of the chunky exposition, um, but I feel like most of the key relationships are referenced about as smoothly as you could hope for with a show with as much a sprawling cast and setting. Yeah, I, I largely agree. I, uh, I do think it's a little a little heavy on right. exposition, but it needs to be. Uh, she's also agreed with us. It was shocking to see how much uh, older some of the young members <laughs> of the cast have grown up. Uh-huh. Uh, and she also salutes the casting director because that's the other thing. Um, I didn't fully appreciate this until I read the books, is that I do feel like so many of these people are cast pretty much spot on, like, from mm-hmm. their depictions in the books and, like, the fact that, you know, like, Sean Bean is the perfect Ned Stark, um, and Amelia Clark is the perfect kind of Daenerys with the, the description of her having the silver hair and and yeah. the fine features. I this just so much care and effort went into just casting not only people that that look like they could be the role um but also that have the serious acting chops that can pull off what's required for them mm-hmm. and that's hard to do like when you cast a little girl as Arya Stark how do you know that she's going to be able to do all the things that's required for her this season and the ones to come you kind of i guess roll the dice yeah but you know this there that I never felt like any of these people kind of grew into it. It felt like that they showed up day one ready to do work, and a lot of that's probably in the direction, mm-hmm. but a lot of that is just you know casting excellent excellent people and, and and being lucky that they were able to grow into the roles uh Jeff P says in the scene where Robert Baratheon arrives at Winterfell, what in the world is Hodor doing standing in the front row right next to Bran? 
Come on, Master Lewin and Sir Roderick are standing in row two, but someone thought it was a good idea to put the mentally challenged stable boy up front to meet the king. Who? What the fuck? Who? Who's this Hodor they're talking he's about? He's the, you, 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 you know, he's this giant guy standing off to the side. I'll okay. say no more, but uh, I don't know. Like, I know from watching, um, you know, many years of Downton Abbey that it was considered, you know, when you meet with a great personage, you trot out your whole household staff and you line them up and, like, look at all my dudes and dudettes. Right. Uh, it, maybe it's weird that Hodor is standing up front, the big stable boy, but, uh, you know, it seems like he could be in the back and still be noticed. Where was John? Didn't didn't pay any attention. Was John John was locked in a tower somewhere, probably because because King Robert just burst in. He was a hugging and hair tousling machine. <laughs> he was just just handing him out left, right, and center. Yeah, uh, there's one there's one star kid who's not really introduced, like the one right. who, who he ta- who's Harry tousles. Rickon, Rickon. We'll find out. Yeah, is his name. Okay, that's that's the fifth star kid. In case you were wondering, like, where the fuck is this fifth star kid we're talking about? Yeah, I only saw two boys and two girls. Right. There's that little one. Yeah, mm-hmm. they didn't. They didn't do a very. I, I guess he. You know, he got his hair tousled by the king. What more of an yeah. introduction do you want as a four or five year old? But <laughs> right. uh, there you go. Uh, and that's that's all the non spoiler stuff I could actually use. Holy shit! Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. Well, uh, that's gonna do it, I guess, for the episode. <laughs> right. We are gonna have a big fat spoiler section afterward. So yes, indeed. If you are interested, or if you watch the show already, um, stick around after the music, and we'll get into spoiler stuff. Any any housekeeping stuff we need to do before we go? Nope. Or? Let's get right okay. into it. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. And we're back with the spoiler section. I'm sure we have plenty to talk about. Yeah, uh, a couple of uh, book details that I noticed. I'll, I'll probably do the comprehensive uh, differences between books and the TV show at the end of the season. Um, because I know I did that in the end of the first season of coverage we did. Uh, just so, because okay. uh, I know people, a lot of people asked, um, you know, where is your coverage of seasons one through three? Because I actually did a a Game of Thrones podcast called The Night's Watch with a, another co-host. And um, when we brought Jim on board, that, you know, that, that, that show became defunct for a lot of boring... If you want to hear the whole story, listen to the first, uh, like, the 401 podcast where I kind of go into it. The very first season four podcast where I go into that whole breakup and all that. Um, but uh, I do know that I still, unlike the majority of the internet, have access to those episodes, so uh, I can just listen and recite what I said as far as the differences. I did an exhaustive breakdown. So okay. we'll do that at the end of the season. But I, I, some things I wanted to point out, um, the young commander of the detachment, the ranger detachment, is actually in the book Weimer Royce, who is the third son of Lord Jan Royce's son, or, or is Lord Jan Royce, which you'll recall is the kind of rotund silver breastplated fellow that is the knight of the veil who yeah. um sweet you know the, the, the lord Arryn, lord robin was uh, threatening to throw out the moon door because yeah. little fingers got all his little fingers up in his head uh-huh. uh but that's an interesting book detail that uh, okay. and he's so like that's a, his son you said yeah and he's very young uh-huh. and he's wanting to make his mark and he's like he um Oh, he got a mark, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That he's kind of cocksure, and there's some lines in the books where the when we meet the old bear Jor Mormont, that he's kind of regretful that he put him in command um, because the other guys were more experienced, and if maybe they were in command, maybe they all would have made it home safe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the question I want to ask you, why do the White Walkers let the deserter go? So, it's a fair question that I don't have an answer to. <laughs> because I can't in any way think of how this suits their purpose. Now, granted, they after six warn... seasons, we don't really know what they want. We know a lot more about the origins, and of course, right. they're this runaway super weapon that the Children of the Forest created. But... It seems like they're content to mostly go by, you know, they kind of take the element of surprise. They're, but, but yet they yeah. leave these symbols and they let a survivor go almost to send warning to right. the, the realms of men. To let them know winter is coming. That seems strange. Yeah, and that's this is entirely faithful to how it goes down in the book. So this isn't just like some kind of TV shorthand that might or might not be wrong. Like, I, this is a canonical thing. I've often wondered, why did yeah. they let him go? Why... You know, I mean, it could be a taunt. Yeah, could, I mean, they could have that much personality to where which, but that implies they a certain have an ego and a like, a, like this isn't just an like you know that's the thing we talked about in, in the last season. Like, okay, they're not just mindless automatons on a must kill all men mission. It seems like it's a little personal, right? Like they are sending messages, mm-hmm. um, which is makes it implies implies there's a lot more, you know, as you say, personality and uh, intent than just some kind of ancient machinery gone amok. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I noticed, is, and I was looking for it, is the Stark design, the sigil that kind of comes up on the, on the uh, shield, on the and, shield and also of the, the clockwork Winterfell. Oh, it's right. the same one. Like a lot of people mentioned that, Oh, it's a white wolf now on a green background that shows that it's John's castle now where nope, that's always been right. a white dire wolf on a green field, which is not how the books depict it. But, mm. uh, you know, that's the way, because in the books, I believe it's either a very dark gray on white um, uh, or even maybe black on white. Um, but, yeah, it's not It's not like they, oh, it's the white wolf and they've changed it. Isn't it? It's the exact same logo. Isn't it also, like, black on white when, when John takes Winterfell back this season? What do you mean? Six? Are you talking about the sigil on the clockwork tower? No, no, you... no. I'm not talking about the intro. I'm talking about when they roll out the actual banner. And they drop I thought it was gray on, on green kind was of the way. But okay. I, I, you're... Maybe it was. I don't remember it. I don't remember being like, oh, my God, this is a whole new. Like, I, I don't think that Um, I, I maybe next season they will. But I don't think that this is essentially a huge change in the sigil and heraldry, like which one right. might suggest that, oh, this is now King Snow and all that. But uh, also I mean, when they dropped those banners, it was like. Sansa was taking back Winterfell, right? Like right. the Stark name was taking back Winterfell, not right. Like when Sansa's doing Jon all that Snow. stitching and stuff, like of of yeah. the you know the Ned costume. I don't think she was like, oh, and you're a Snow, so I'm going to reverse it. And they didn't say any of that. That would have been a cool. Right. That would have been a cool thing that they could have done. And John wasn't king in the North yet, you know. So yeah, uh, I don't know. You know, it's interesting, and, and also because I, I reread the first couple chapters in the Game of Thrones book. Um, just to kind of marvel at, like, oh, my God, this is fucking dense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it reminded me the, about the theory that we had early on in, like, episode three of the latest season where we had a time-traveling future-impacting, past-impacting Bran. Uh, when John discovers Ghost in the books, he's led by a sound that he thinks might be a trick of the wind. And I remember huh. that there is a theory now that there's some okay. theory crafting of, like, maybe Ghost is vital to John's survival in some way and that, that Bran knew that and that he went back in time and made sure that John found the go- found ghost so that he would always find ghost. Well, did uh 
Did Ghost save him once? I feel like there was someone. I feel like yeah, that he's definitely you know Ghost has 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 helped him out on more than one occasion. Yeah, um, certainly enabled him to kind of um, be a a force for good at the wall because you know people right, were picking on right. Sam and he was able to intimidate them with his wolf. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like that there's been a times where like like Ghost is actually not as much as you think though Here's... because as they mentioned in the show that the CGI budget for making these CGI wolves is prohibitive and they're almost always the first thing to be cut. It's like, well, we do a giant right. or a dire wolf. Well, do we do a dragon or a dire wolf? Well, uh-huh. we're always going to do the giant or the dragon. Uh, Ghost does save Sam once, right? Does I, it? I'm, I'm like 90, 99% sure the ghost saves Sam when it like backs some people down when they want to, when they're threatening Sam. Oh yeah, for sure. Wall. That's what I was talking about. He helped, he helps John be a force for good and, right. and intimidating so did- people to leave Sam the fuck alone. Right, so maybe that says something about, you know, John needing to get ghosts so he can save Sam because Sam's Sam is be important. Super important. Sure, yeah, right, right. Maybe that's in there. Uh, the other thing I was wondering about in retrospect is Benjin, because we've now seen Benjin come back. Right, he's a a white or a half white or a whatever the fuck my he word, is. Jim. We haven't even seen him go missing yet, and already we're talking about his return. <laughs> yeah, I mean you have to because especially. So he's talking with John, right? And he's like, oh, you wouldn't take the black if you knew what that meant. Then, like, you don't know exactly what it means. Is that, is there any way that Benjen might actually know the heritage of John? Well, I mean, he's definitely one of the ones that was speculated that if anyone would, like, if if Ned Ned was going to trust a secret to anybody, it would probably be his brother. Right. So and there's a conspicuous line about him not knowing what it means. What that and means I, about not having children and yeah, yeah, that's that's a good good catch. That is yet I to be wonder. proven. Sure, sure. I mean it's all it's definitely speculation, but I it's just something I noticed. Yeah. Uh I also noticed Jesus, Tyrion looks so much better now. He I don't like his look at all at the beginning of this. What do you mean just, better? His, I mean just his the... Beatles flop haircut and just like <laughs> doesn't have the beard. I I don't know. He looks way better with the beard and he's, long he, hair. He looks a bit of a dan- like a dandy. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of think yeah. he is. Like, he's, you know, he doesn't care much for the hunting. He just likes to fuck whores and read books and drink yeah. drink wine. Uh, so not a lot of character change there, on, to be honest. No, not character change. But, yeah, no, the change, beard, visual the, the long hair and the scars have helped give him a more... But that's the thing. Like, yeah. that that stuff starts to transition in season two where he bears this weight of responsibility for the first yeah. time in his life. And as these weights kind of continue to mount on him, it uh, makes him look cooler somehow. It pushes the hair out of his right. body. Yeah. The weight uh, just pulls it out of his chin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing we're, I think led to believe in this episode that Jamie and Cersei had something to do with the death of John Arryn. But then we later find out that Littlefinger claims responsibility and we kind of believe him. But right. to keep in mind that, like, Littlefinger is engineering all of this, which is going to think – I think that's going to be one of the fun things to see because he's kind of an active player in season one already. But to think mm-hmm. that he did this – it wasn't the Lannisters. He took all these kind of simmering, long-standing disagreements about houses and expertly played them against each other with just like a, just like one little pull at the thread – and the seams start going almost immediately. Yeah. Because you can already tell, like, Jamie and Cersei, in hindsight, it's like, they don't know if I... They're, they're kind of scared in their way. Mm-hmm. And when we establish them, and, you know, everyone's feeling unsure and just kind of, you know, warily eyeing each other and sizing each other up in this episode. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, there's another moment with Cersei that I thought was neat. 
uh, in retrospect. It's when she meets Sansa. Right. Uh, and she's kind of eyeing her, and you can see, oh, she's so beautiful. And, like, th- this prophecy starts to oh, ring in your right. head, right? Like, someone younger and more beautiful will take your place. Yeah. And all your children will die. And, like, and that this, like, oh, my God, this could be the first step in the prophecy. So right. some of this like resentment makes sense in retrospect. Another yeah. good catch. Uh, the, the last thing I want to do of just my own observations is uh, if you look at Illyrio's house guard, they're wearing these dopey, like, half helms with the straight-up spikes. <laughs> uh-huh. That is a book-accurate description of how unsullied they're supposed to look. Really? Yeah. And they look fucking silly and ridiculous. So I, for okay. one... Good call. I, for one, like the fact that every once in a while the Double Ds do changes from the books. Because can you imagine Grey Worm uh. with, like, this giant spike on his head? And <laughs> he's wearing, like, a loincloth and a weird turtle-shaped buckler. It's just, yeah. They, they look way... You know, still like they got the spike, but now it's kind of like for like aerodynamic and form fitting. Yeah, it's it's been TVified. Yeah, I like the unsullied look. So there you go. But yeah, if if you want to see what a book accurate depiction of unsullied look, freeze frame Illyrio's house guard and and take a look at that. Yeah, the other the other thing you kind of hinted at um, early on in this podcast was just you know whether or not there was kind of a a difference in budget and a difference in execution uh, yes. um from a technical level and and it didn't really seem like it um but then again this part of the story is much smaller right mm-hmm. it's it's located mostly indoors yeah um there are a couple of just wide shots of of the scottish hills mm-hmm. uh but it, it makes me wonder like is game of thrones a, a show that hbo kind of took a gamble on to say, all right, let's let's take this show that we know is going to get really big and really expensive, right? And if if it doesn't hit mainstream by like season two, sure, let's you can get out always of it. you can always out it because right. there's, there's really not a lot of CGI until you get to yeah. like the dragons at the very end, right? Even like, the, the direwolves are just pups at this yep. point; they're real dogs, right? Um, and I think they grow up really fucking fast because when Bran comes out of his coma, uh. You know, summer is big enough to uh, to take down a, a man. Um, oh wow! So you yeah. know they grow they they grow up really fast, and that also kind of gives you an indication of how long Bran's in his coma, perhaps. Yeah, and Cat mentions that right. She's like a day later or whatever, <laughs> however right. long the Lannisters have been there. Right. She's like, wow, that thing's growing fast. Right. Uh, so let's get to feedback, unless you have some other. Oh, the other thing is we we, we kind of talked about the 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 aging of the cast, and we right. we actually were getting really into that, and then we cut it because we realized it's all huge spoilers. Like, hey, if we talk about how old Arya and Sans are getting, well, guess what? They must be still alive. And the um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that's the fact that they live for a while. Yeah, they age visibly, but yeah, that's I mean that's pretty much all we wanted to say is like. Yeah. Look at Bran, especially. Bran is really changed. He's so much taller. And Rickon, uh, like, is this little boy, like, four or five years old, and he's a teenager by the season six. And yeah. he's this gangly guy that uh, gets cut down in his, well, before his prime. Yeah, I think those two, Bran and, Bran and Tyrion, yeah. to me, have really changed the most. Yeah, and it does interesting things to the timeline, because, again, in the books, more or less, this all takes place, of course, across, like, two years. Mm-hmm. Like, in the entire, from season one to season six. Obviously, in the Game of Thrones TV universe, it feels like essentially real time has elapsed. Like, we're f- several years. In fact, the characters mentioned that 
we're several years older and you know whatnot. So it's it's the timeline's a lot less compressed than it is in the books. Lots of time, lots of room and time for jetpacking, in other words. Uh, let's get to the feedback. Again, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or forums.baldmove.com if you want to you wanna talk to fellow fans. Uh, Ryan B. says, I have an idea I want to run by you, assuming that Jamie is the Valonqar of prophecy. I should say here that, as is probably going to be the case, a lot of this feedback is for like future, and some of it is on the current episodes. It's kind of like a blend of like still old business from last season and stuff looking future and also stuff about the current episode. This is, you know, first few is about last week's finale. Um, assuming that Jamie's the Valon card, we've discussed a lot on the podcast, that in Cersei, I can't see Jamie feeling that he has much left to live for. I had an idea that Jamie would finally make good to Braun and give him a castle of his own, namely Casterly Rock. I think this may work even if Jamie isn't the one in Cersei. What do you think? Uh, they've talked about this a lot, the fact that Jamie keeps upping the ante. Like, you know, you had yeah. a minor castle with a minor lady, and I can offer you bigger castles and better ladies. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he'll eventually give him Casterly Rock? What he actually meant was better castles and bigger ladies, <laughs> uh, which is something Braun should have seen coming. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's there's nobody to take over King's Landing if he goes to Casterly Rock, and it doesn't seem like that's really, you know, at the beginning, that's what he wanted. Mm. It seems now that's not what he wants. Right. Uh, so I could see him. And if he ends away, up killing sure. Cersei, and the the only complication yeah. of that is like, what does that mean for Tyrion? Okay. You know, if he gives if he gives Bronn Casterly Rock, uh, you know that's not you know. You, I, and I don't I I can see Jamie doing that because I don't think that especially if he you, you you foresee a future that he has to murder his sister. Yeah. Or that she's killed and his his essentially all of his family saved Tyrion has been left behind, um, and dead. I I don't know that he wouldn't. You know, because now Kevin Lannister's dead. Like, there, how many Lannisters are left in the goddamn world? Like three. Like Jamie himself's murdered two of his cousins. There's, there's not a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, I thought that was an interesting theory. One to get out there. John M said last week you're pondering how Jon Snow would convince people of his true lineage once he finds out about it. You also ruminate on how Bran would be able to show Jon and convince him in the first place. As far as we know, there is five people, including Bran, who know of Jon's true parents. Ned is dead and took the secret with him. Howland Reed is another person who knows, but likely also would take the secret to the grave. This leaves the two nurses we saw on screen. Presumably, they'd have recognized the significance of Lyanna and Rhaegar's baby. However, Ned would probably have sworn them to secrecy. I have a theory that one of the nurses could have discreetly made a record of the birth that got entered into the Citadel Library, and no one found it because no one knew to look and understood its significance. That if Sam is there All doing right. research, he could very well find this record. Tell John about it, and Howland Reed or one of the other nurses can validate the verisimilitude of the claim. What do you think? Would the Citadel hold information on the lineages of the families of Westeros? I, I would say if anywhere other than the Crips would, yeah, it'd be the Citadel. I do. I, I, I mean, the mechanics of this theory don't make sense to me. Like, I don't think that the library of the Citadel would accept a piece of information that it doesn't vet itself. Like, if anything... Mm. They're more meticulous and sticklers for detail than I would have um, suspected from information we got in the final uh, finale of the, this Game of Thrones season. And I already suspected the Citadel of being pretty big sticklers. Are you so, implying that, that all of those books are written by them? No, not Every written, but one? vetted. Like a, a, okay. a maester has gone through and verified. They're, they're essentially the Wikipedia editors of Westeros. 
their paste their pasting stuff with citation needed and okay. it doesn't fit in it. So like I can't imagine something as momentous as like what the f- Rhaegar had an illegitimate child with Lyanna Stark that's still extant like that would be a bombshell. That would not be something like, you know, is there like a giant pile of unverified works and why would Sam be reading that? Like if something made it in, it would have to be checked and, and I can't imagine them not, you know, seeing the significance for what it is. I, but I, I don't know. It's yeah. an interesting theory. I do think that Sam's going to, that, that might be one of the things he figures out and he's got to figure out something. Sure. Otherwise, why does he go to Citadel? Who cares? Right. Uh, Cameron W. said, A lot of people have speculated as to where Danny may land when she comes over to Westeros, inevitably. In Dornish legend, one of their heroes is Nymeria, the same name as Arya's wolf. Nymeria famously landed in Dorne and told her people to burn their ships, committing them to staying and conquering the lands. Mm-hmm. Don't you think this would be an interesting move for Danny, and also a great way to capture the admiration of future Dornish subjects? Absolutely. I could see like I could see this happening. Like Tyrion saying, you know, when Nymeria sailed from Essos to Westeros, she burnt all her ships to show her commitment to the land. And I could see a, a, a scene of Danny burning her whole fleet to do the same, except for fleets are super handy things to have. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. Like, I, I would never burn a fleet. Yeah. I would, I would maybe try and move a fleet away from yeah. being easily accessible by my men, but I would not burn a fleet. If years of misspent youth playing Axis and Allies have taught me anything, <laughs> right. it's it's the power of the amphibious assault. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, for, for mobility, especially pre you know, aircraft mobility, you can't beat a fleet of ships. Yeah. And, you know, Dorne is one of the places that we talked about. Uh, her landing makes perfect sense. Sure. But it's she mountainous, it's there. rocky, it's rugged. It's not exactly the thing that you'd want to march across to get to King's Landing. But Dothraki don't give a shit. Yeah. Especially, but uh, if you load them on the boats, they get even less of a shit. So it'd be a right. cool visual. And that's the thing, like, this show's military tactical accuracy is always taking a backseat to big visual moments and just kind of like the story. So, like, that's a big visual moment that would be kind of a nice one to hit. So I could totally see them filming something like that. Okay. Um, but, yeah, good good call there, Cameron. Ronald B. said, here's a spoiler for non-book readers. In both the show and in the book, Jon Snow gives Arya a needle during their very last meeting. But in the book... She tears up and hugs John, saying, sadly, I wish you were going with us to King's Landing, to which John replies, two journeys can end at the same castle. I think the producers intentionally omitted the last exchange as being too much foreshadowing, because if they're following Gurm closely, I would predict that John and Arya meet in, castle, uh, in a castle in Season 7, but the question is, which castle? So... This could be from the department of reading too much into John giving Arya a platitude. Like, you know, you never know. We might end up in the same place. Like, right. he's going to Castle Black. She's going to... That seems unlikely. But, you know, maybe yeah. he would be a recruiter. I mean, in this in this very episode, Ned Stark says, crazy people say crazy shit. Yeah. And it turns out, oh, there are White Walkers. So yes. that could just be a nothing line. Right. Um but I don't, because I also don't think it's that big of a foreshadowing. Like, it's no more, I mean, it's just a one-line piece of dialogue that worked the same in the books as it does in the TV show. Hmm. Um, but okay. they've admitted other things, we thought. Like, you know, maybe they admitted to Valonqar part of the the Cersei's prophecy as a way to make whoever the Valonqar is be that more shocking. Like, they're like, yeah. you know, people are going to be speculating anyway, and people are probably going to be reading the books. So, like, let's kind of keep this low-key under wraps. Mm-hmm. Same way, like... 
the hints about Jon Snow's true parentage was far more subtle in the TV show than in the in the books because oh, yeah. the books can delve in allusions and wordplay and prophecy that people can glance over. Where like, how do you do that in a visual? If, if people, if if it's blatant enough to be noticed, then it's almost too blatant to work as subtle foreshadowing. Right. So I don't know. You could you could be right. So well, that's, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Josh F. from Birmingham, on John's resurrection, while nothing is confirmed, I thought the books in the show made it fairly clear that Rolor's resurrection process is actually bringing someone back to life, as in breathing air and blood pumping through their body, and that person can be killed again just as easily as they were before. If you recall, we debated this yeah. last episode. So his his heart stabs were healed, his heart wounds were just repaired? They shot him and full then... of uh, Fix-A-Flat and, okay. uh, you yeah. know, rotate him, rotated him around for a bit, let, let all that congeal, and then he's good to go. Okay. You didn't see that. They, just, <laughs> they, can, they simplified the detailed process in the books down to her washing his hair. Oh, that's in the books? Wow. <laughs> no, none of that is in the books. Okay. That hasn't happened yet. Um, but he cites evidence as they don't continue to decompose and they keep their general sense of humanity and memories. This is mostly based on Beric and Darian's resurrections. He's alive and can be and or is killed at any time after being brought back to life, the same as any other mortal man. And although he has plenty of gross scars and wounds all over his body, he's not decomposing after being brought back to life. Mm-hmm. The only thing that changes is some vague idea that he loses a little of himself each time he is resurrected, which could be a magical effect or it could just be psychological trauma of being brutally murdered. Either way, his humanity seems to be relatively intact even after seven deaths and resurrections. On the other hand, the Whites appear to be mindless zombies still decomposing as they trudge around completely under the control of the White Walkers. Many are so decomposed that they don't have brains, muscles, or eyes. They're just bones being controlled to kill people. And although we don't know for sure about what the mountain is right now, there's decent enough evidence that he's a science experiment who is more in line with the zombie than someone brought back to life with the magic of Rolor. We don't know anything for sure about the differences in these magics, but I think there's plenty of evidence in plain sight that John and Beric are very different from the other reanimated beings, and John wouldn't be affected sure. by the magic on the wall, which is specifically warded against the magic of the others or White Walkers and not the Red God. Okay. So that's, fine. that's a pretty strong case for his argument. Is there a ways we can poke holes in it, just for devil's advocate? I mean, it, so it seems to me that the argument there is John and Beric are different from from yes. white walkers which i agree with i mean have i don't know that I mean, we we i guess we threw around the idea of oh is john like a white walker uh what happens where's the barrier on the wall can he go north or south of it we we did wonder about that so i guess that's good clarification but uh i'm i'm not under the impression that he's the same as a white well the other thing is i don't because i don't know because the the one obvious contrary here is Benjen Stark who is also a white and right. was created with the White Walker technology and yet he still is the, uh, self-identifies as Benjen and seems entirely consistent with the personality of Benjen Stark yeah he has some visual discrepancies but that's like <laughs> the thing is the other thing is like well John isn't decomposed neither is Barrick that's because someone brought him back to life instantly like yeah. Lady Stoneheart super fucking grody because mm-hmm. she spent several days in a river before getting fished out right so that's the other part of it it it's it apparently doesn't heal you right like it can't it keeps you alive through some magical power yes because lady stoneheart couldn't come back to life the way she is she would immediately die again right and the same way with the the whites is like i never thought that these whites were resurrected as fresh corpses i thought that like 
they're they resurrected at, at whatever stage of decomposition they were at. Right. And then they, they don't further de- de- uh, you know, corrode or, 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 or rot, but they're right, kind of right. stuck in that spot. Because, like, you know, this little girl okay, who was sure. a white, she like she had blood in her mouth, but she wasn't, like, super desiccated zombie-esque. And, it also hadn't been much time. So. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's the difference. And, like, Benjin might have been dead for half a day or a day, which is why he's got the gross hands and congealed blood and scars on his face. Where And the mountain spent how many days or weeks on a table while Kyburn was fucking with him until he got him back to life. It yeah. all goes down to the question of whether you believe these gods have separate pools of magical reserves and power, or, or this is all one thing. universal force that has a light and a dark side, or a positive and negative charge that is being harnessed in the names of these gods. Right. That's the view that I take, the latter view. And but but if you want to take the former view, there's there's certainly evidence. I just think there's also a lot of evidence that. You know, again, if you say that the personality being intact is key, well, Benjen had said, I was brought back mm-hmm. by the same means that whites and white walkers are created, and I am still Benjen Stark. Yeah. So maybe there's a separate step that the white walkers do, the white people's personalities and memories and their willpower. Um, maybe uh, the other thing is it, it's crucial that Beric Dondarrion can be killed. Like sure. when the hound yeah. killed him. Thor Samir had to bring him back to life. So I do believe that Jon Snow is killable. Yes, I, I totally believe that. Now, the whites will don't he seem to naturally be. die? That's my, my big question. Or is the, the power that's keeping him alive and is keeping Lady Stoneheart alive and, and all these other people, Thor, whatever his name is. Thoris of Mir. Boromir. Boromir. Uh, <laughs> is the magic that's keeping them alive also keeping them from aging? Right. Right. Uh, that's my question. I know. I know. You lop off his head. I don't think his body's going to keep coming sure. after you. That's like the. You know what does being immortal mean? Is immortal mean sure. like you're just going to live forever in absence of disease or right. injury? Does it mean you're going to live forever in absence of injury? Or does you it... literally can't be yes. killed, uh, no matter what happens to your physical form. Uh, yeah. Or can you only die if your head's cut off? A la the Highlander. Who right. knows? We don't know. But you know. But it seems apparent to me that. It's not the physical form that is keeping these people alive yeah. anymore. It's some kind of magical power. And I still think, you know, that the it's a very much an open question of, like, the nature of it and where the power comes from and the similarities and differences and all that. And I guess it could be different in the books than it is in the show. They haven't Certainly. shown Lady Stoneheart, and that's my biggest yep. piece of evidence to say you it, it has to be magic because the body is too fucked up. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess if you know this magic just heals John's heart and restarts it, right? Maybe he, maybe he is just a living dude now, right? Right. Same with uh, Thoromir, or whatever right. his name is, Thoromir. <laughs> uh, Thorosamir. Uh, yeah. Lily says, "I'd like to request when you recap season one during the spoilers section, if you could review the differences between the show and the book regarding Daenerys and Cal Drogo's wedding night and the concept of consent." And not just because it's a super comfortable topic for you guys to discuss. Oh yeah, super comfortable. Love it. Sure. Uh, don't get hate mail at all every time I discuss this topic. Um, but I'm happy to do so. I mean, what what do you want? That's to say it's not consent? Sure, yeah, well, no, here, I agree. No, there's a definitely broader conversation to have here. Okay. Um, in the book, it's in the show, it's clearly non-consensual. Yeah, yeah. Cultural misunderstandings aside, that's rape. However, she uh-huh. still ends up loving him, but in the books, I think it clearly indicates consent. Thoughts? So I actually pulled up. I actually pulled up the books, and you know, there's the same kind of like him repeating the word "no, no, no." Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it ends is this, and and bear with me. I have to read a some graphic foreplay scenes. Oh, can we get can we get Roy Dotrice? Yeah, read it? we can do that. All right, let's do that. All right, 
It seemed as if hours passed before his hands finally went to her breasts. He stroked the soft skin underneath until it tingled. He circled her nipples with his thumbs, pinched them between thumb and forefinger, then began to pull at her, very lightly at first, then more insistently, until her nipples stiffened and began to ache. He stopped then and drew her down onto his lap. Danny was flushed and breathless, a heart fluttering in her chest. He cupped her face in his huge hands and looked into her eyes. No, he said, and she knew it was a question. She took his hand and moved it down to the wetness between her thighs. Yes, she whispered as she put his finger inside her. So, wow. in the books, it's unmistakably, and Cal Drogo is careful to ask for consent. And oh, Danny whoa. fully okay. consents to it. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think gets lost in, like, some of these flame wars about the nature of rape in Game of Thrones. Because, you know, you can say about, well, it's different cultural and different... Th- and, and no one's disputing that. There's, like, people right. s- uncomfortable with this idea are not ignorant about how fucking medieval times work. Okay? Sure. It's it's in many cases the show turns consensual situations into rape for some reason. Same with Cersei and Jaime mm. uh, having sex over Joffrey's body. Right. It's a complicated emotional scene in the book, but at the end, Cersei unmistakably says, "Yes, Jaime, take me now." Uh-huh. Sansa does not get raped in the books at all, so that's a different change. So the, it, I think that a lot of people complain. That you already have a lot of rape in Game of Thrones because of the setting. Yep. But it seems like the showrunners, you know, I'm I'm impugning a, a, emotions that they may or may not have. But almost like rub their hands together and be like, oh, man, you know what will really take this female character's development over the top? Let's rape her. Because that will really, you know, amp up the, the emotion of the scene. Which you think it's about- a lot of women, understandably, find gross. Sure, I, I and, can understand and, that. You know, again, like unambiguously consensual in the books. She's afraid, like everything up to that point. Like she's afraid, like you know, Cal Drogo's this big hulking barbarian guy. Sure, yeah. But he, like, you know, there's this like, and I, I, I didn't do the whole scene because it would take five minutes to read. But like, there's a lot of foreplay and a lot of like, you know, he doesn't just undress her right away. She, he lets her undress him first and unbraid his hair and yeah. like she kind of becomes attracted to him and sees that like, yes, he's a he's a barbarian, but he he knows to be gentle with me. Mm-hmm. So it's a much cleaner love story from there to where we go to like Cal Drogo's this unthinking brute that rapes me and I'm going to, uh, you know, unlock the magic of riding him cowgirl style and boom, we're in love. Right. Right. I, do you think they're just doing this for like to push the envelope of the shock value of the show? Yeah. In and general, I, I, like I, not necessarily as character beats, but more, we want to shock our audience. Right. I mean, and, you know, rape is a, a character development for women is a very tropey thing. And, you know, sure. they're a bunch majority, you know, by and large men writing the show. And I don't think they think about it in that way because it's like it almost seems like it surprises them every single time when it's an uproar. But it's the same fucking uproar again and again. Sure. 
like you know anytime you're going to rape a woman it's going to be controversial yeah it's when like you're the walking altering... dead killing off black guys like yeah what the fuck how did you not see this you've done it eight times now and it would be also like if the the guys were always white in the comic books but they're always black when they die and it's like it would be even right. like like okay It'd this is worse. already weird and problematic but what the fuck you're making it worse than the source material yeah yeah so yeah i mean i don't know why they did it I can speculate that they thought it would be a little bit more of a struggle for Danny, or it, it would amp up her anguish and whatnot. But I mean, it seems gross when I say it like that. So you'd yeah. be forgiven for be like, ah, not sure about why they're doing that in the writers' room. But yeah, I mean, in in the show, it's unambiguous rape. In the in the book, it's unambiguous consensual sex. So make make of huh. that what you will. Blows my mind. Eric E. said, was listening to your season six wrap up and take, talking about the magic of the wall and Bran's mark and how it can be used to track him. It seems to me that there is now a connection between him and the White Walkers. It made me wonder if you guys think there's a possibility that now that Brandon was touched, that he is somehow at least a part of him, even at a surface level, branded as if he is a white. Not that he's actually dead or undead or anything, but where those fingerprints are, if that part of him is now dead. Or even if it's not, I wonder if there's a possibility that he will not be able to get past the wall when he reaches it. So he's going past the theory of Bran's going to go underneath the wall and be kind of like the horn that brought down the walls of Jericho. uh, That he's literally going to... But that he'll be prevented from crossing it the same way Benjen would. And I don't know if it means he just flies apart or if like it's a a physical force that he can't override. Uh Uh-huh. Or even if, like, when I was reading his email, my first thought was, and again, I know this reference is beyond you, but for the rest of the world that's seen Harry Potter, um, you know, Harry's got the scar on his forehead that was caused when Voldemort tried to kill him as a baby, and it gives him, like, a psychic connection that he can think, he can feel Lord Voldemort's thoughts and emotions and, and strong hatreds when he expresses them. Uh, it's like the Force. Yeah, like it's like brother and sister. Yeah, that now like um he's been branded so he's going to have it's a two-way street. The white the the king of the white walkers, the knights king uh is going to be able to sense him and track him and and go where he goes, but then brand can use that as a way to like hack back through the connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Those are all interesting or, concepts that we have no idea if the, the how they'll play out. Or whether making him the the King of the fucking forest, whatever it's called. Uh, Night's King? Or are you talking about the the Blood Raven? Yeah, whether making him the Three-Eyed Raven has actually done away with that. Because mm. I don't know why, you know, the White Walkers just aren't on him all the time with that mark. Or it's kind of like, you know, the way How that... How can he run from them? The, the, um, it's kind of the way that the uh, Oracle let Agent Smith consume her in the final Matrix uh-huh. as a way to essentially defeat him. Okay. I can tell by your confused look I, that I don't know what what exact yeah, parallel you're drawing here. I'm uh, saying that like the fact that the 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 White Walker touched Bran in his green dream as a way to get a temporary def- victory, but that mark is going to affect the White Walkers at least as much as it does Bran, and and give a sliver of a like that's essentially oh, okay. going to be there. Yeah. They by in their moment of triumph, they also undid themselves ultimately. Right. So you just ignore what I said. I said like maybe him becoming the three eyed raven because he gets the mark before he becomes the three eyed well, raven. Yeah, that's why and I did the oracle. I, I was saying raven. Yeah, yeah. Has has done away with the effects of the mark. I was trying to make the oracle analogy to strengthen your argument there, but uh, oh, it's been a while since we've seen the Matrix and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> sure. Uh, but no, those are all 
interesting possibilities. Like the fact that he can't get across the wall would be interesting because he's in very mm-hmm. real real peril. The fact that uh, if he can get across but it destroys the wall, obviously, is super interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, good thoughts. Moving on to Kevin. It's well documented in both the books and the show how epically in love Robert Baratheon was with Lyanna Stark. Even a decade plus after her death, Robert still carries a torch for her. Mm-hmm. In light of this, why is Robert not with Ned Stark at the Tower of Joy? Based on what we know about Robert and his personality, doesn't it seem odd that he doesn't insist on going with Ned? Wasn't he too busy conquering the fucking throne? Uh, yeah. If there's a chance that she's still alive, are we really supposed to believe he'd be content to just hang out at Storm's End or even King's Landing? For that matter, does the Tower of Joy incident happen before or after Ned Stark arrives in King's Landing and finds Jamie Lannister sitting on the throne? If before, then why does Ned only take like five guys with him to the tower? That doesn't sound smart. I think it's after. If after, do you think that Ned wouldn't leave King's Landing until Robert's arrived, right? He wouldn't trust the Lannisters to keep the seat warm. If that's the case, then why we're back to why wouldn't Robert want to go with Ned, who would have been given Robert some reason to why he wants to leave King's Landing? Is it just a hole in Germ's storytelling? Interested on your take uh, on this. So this is a complicated thing to unpack. Okay. Number one, there is the concept that Robert says he's in love with Leanna, but there's a lot of evidence that Leanna, like, Ned privately muses that Leanna Stark would not put up with any of Robert's bullshit, Mm -hmm. that Robert would not stop pouring and living the life that he has up until this point, and that Robert pines for Leanna because that's the one relationship he never had the chance to fuck up because Leanna died before he could. Because you know, so that that's one that that what is Robert's definition of love and how does it actually match up? Um, the other thing is is that he was grievously wounded at the Battle of the Trident where he killed Prince Rhaegar, um, and he had to convalesce, uh, so he wasn't like ready for battle. He did was coronated and all that, but he was definitely weakened. The other thing is, if you'll recall, when Tywin Lannister took the city, his man, the Mountain Gregor, killed the princess and the you know, all the babies, the children of Rhaegar. And that pleased Robert because he hated the Targaryens at this point. And he, and he saw all this as like all fruits of a bad tree and the ones that took his Lyanna away from him. But Ned was, uh, you know, he said, these are just children. This was a baby in some cases. This is terrible. This is not something I want to be associated with. And it led to a real rift in their friendship. Hmm. So they parted ways, uh, Robert stayed at King's Landing to recover. Ned rode forth the free, the the end of siege at Storm's End, uh, which is the castle that Robert the the Baratheon's uh, family seat. Then at some point he got wind that his sister was being held at the Tower of Joy and rode down there. It's interesting that he trust he he took his most trusted men. Like he didn't have a big detachment, and some people think that maybe in the back of his mind, Ned had heard the rumors that maybe Lyanna wasn't kidnapped. Maybe this is more of an elopement. And Robert is clearly insanely angry about this Targaryen stuff. What is he going to do to my sister if he finds out that he she's a Targaryen fucker? Sure. So there's that complication. Uh, and Ned and, and Robert did not reconcile until they both found out that Lyanna was dead and was over kind of mutual grief for this woman that they both loved as a sister and as a lover mm-hmm. that they were able to reconcile their relationship. So there's a lot of reasons why Robert didn't ride forth down to the Tower of Joy to be with Ned is the, 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 the long answer. All right. So there you go. Um, 
Joe from New York said, I heard your discussion on the show last week about how John and Sansa might forbid people from referring to the marriage between Ramsey and Sansa. I understand in the book, Sansa never actually marries Ramsey, but he does marry a fake Arya Stark. I was wondering if a similar fiction might be incorporated into the show. Ooh. Sansa is eager to just erase the Boltons from history. The marriage would go along with that. Uh, so I could see her making the official story that the person Ramsay married was an imposter and former whore that Littlefinger sent to Winterfell while the real Sansa was just chilling with Littlefinger the whole time. Uh, that's... I actually would like that as a wink to a book reader. If she said that... Uh, who was that... Um, the Kennelmaster's daughter? That, Miranda. Uh, M- Miranda, that maybe she would go with a story that they pretended that Miranda was Sansa... And that I rode with Littlefinger and freed the castle. Like, that, she could sell that fiction. Uh, and that's the official story. I suppose so. Because that would be kind of like a wink to the fake Arya plot line that happens in the books. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who know that's not true, but I guess... Well, very again, it's, 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 it's kind of like Ramsey saying, my father was poisoned by our enemies, like Sansa. And, right. you know, like I said, like, anyone questions it, John just kind of puts his hand on Longclaw and gives him the look. Like, uh-huh. really? You want to know more? I can tell you more. Slowly, long claw comes out of its sheath. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I would like that because it would it would give a little bit of nod to the book history and also be believable because I don't think Sansa would ever want to be associated with being Ramsay's wife at all. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up to you is how Tyrion has such an awful reputation in Westeros. The play this season illustrated that people see him as a person responsible for almost all evils that have befallen King's Landing and the royal family. In his trial, the last thing he said to the people of Westeros was to go fuck themselves. Very Ron Burgundy-esque. <laughs> stay, stay classy, King's Landing. Might Tyrion actually hurt Danny's bid to rule Westeros? Many might assume that he is manipulating her like they think he did with Joffrey or Ned. Solid point. We've talked about how the Starks would see Tyrion and like how maybe they'd yeah. all be bros and buds, but the small folk of Westeros, this is the demon imp coming to return to fuck up our continent after maybe uh, we, we, we get back on our feet. What do you think? Uh, sure, sure. That seems a reasonable reaction. I, I Given the, the feelings of Do you these think people. that he'll be sent back to Essos? Because he's like you know, oh, with, I don't, with the I don't Dario think... logic that like your baggage, man. Like I, I'm trying to make peace here, and people you know can't accept you as my hand. Uh, that'd be the worst move she's made yet. I, I just don't, I don't know that she's ready to be an actual leader. She can be a conqueror. Well, and, you know, she's the breaker of the wheel, the breaker of chains. Uh, she's also uh, she, maybe she can be the the destroyer of lies because this is all bullshit. Like Tyrion tried sure. more than anyone to save King's Landing and to yeah. rule it justly and wisely and to steer the ship of state on a straight course, and he got fucked at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. So that you know, uh, and in this case, the truth is a better story than the lie. So yeah, I I don't. No, I I hope Danny doesn't send him back, but yeah, I don't. It wouldn't be the craziest thing that's ever happened on this show. Sure, then she makes Dario the hand, and uh, <laughs> right, just swap. Tyrion goes back to drinking obsessively. Uh, Mike M said, "I know you mentioned something similar to the following suggestion, but would you be willing to do a podcast once the new book comes out to compare and contrast the season with the new book and share theories for things that come in book and show?" Yeah, totally. Like if. So the way I'd see it going down is Winds of Winter is released, and it's going to take me a week or two to read it, and 
I would have a call go out on the uh, podcast feed and on Facebook and Twitter and, and our forums to gather feedback uh, and then have like a massive like reactions and kind of initial theories and things that were confirmed by the show and things that were disproven. And like, you know, a couple weeks after that and maybe do as needed, like a week, you know, keep doing a podcast every two weeks until that kind of dies down. Yeah. Um, and it just depends also, like, if it gets released during Game of Thrones season, fuck all that noise. I'll, I mean, I'll definitely read it, and we'll probably be talking about it in the spoiler section. But honestly, I'm going to try to keep a you know, like, as people are sending me stuff, I'm going to be ignoring it until I get done with the books. Because I do have a vested right. interest in getting this done and enjoying it as a book fan myself. So, uh, and that's going to be complicated if I'm in the middle of Game of Thrones season. Uh, yep. <laughs> because I'll just have to just do, you know, and I can, I'm a pretty quick reader, especially with the whole uh, Kindle plus uh, Audible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get through a big book pretty quickly, but, you know, the Game of Thrones is going to slow me down. So hopefully it'll come out, like, in the sleepy winter season um, or, like, the sleepy summer season, you know, when we're only doing one or two podcasts a week and I can have time to plow through that and, and, and lead a book club type thing. But I, it's not going to be, like, a chapter by chapter thing. It's not going to be, like, a POV by POV it's going to be, and, and I'd also like to get you involved, huh. like, you know, have a like discussion where I just essentially tell you, like, hey, this is the cool things that happen in the book. Um, yeah. But definitely we'll do something. I'm not going to promise too much, but there will be a podcast to talk about it in the weeks afterwards, and I'll have a call for feedback. Uh, so keep subscribed to the feed or keep your eyes peeled on Twitter or Facebook if you, you want to check that out. Uh Final email? Yes. Patrick Yu of Georgia said, My question or comment has to do with the business dynamics that now exist between the TV series, HBO, and the books, Random House. Something we know all about, (laughs) right? I agree with your recent statement that it's unlikely that Germ went into this TV deal thinking the TV series would eclipse his books. But we are where we are. Now that we are here, I have to imagine that Random House people must be doubly worried about book sales now that the TV series has eclipsed the books and want your thoughts. Here's why. First, they must be worried to some extent that Germ even finishes his series before he dies. I know he hates to hear that, but it's a real concern. Yeah. Uh, Think of the Wheel of Time author Robert Jordan. Second... I just say get Brandon Sanderson in there. He'll finish it off. We'll all be happy. As a guy who's read a lot of Brandon (laughs) Sanderson, uh, not sure if I agree with that. Uh, Second, and to me, this is more interesting. Even if he does finish the books, it seems to me that there's no way for book readers to feel fully satisfied with the finished book product. If the TV series finishes strongly and then the books subsequently follow the same general plot and, most importantly, the same general ending, then it seems to me one could not help but feel cheated. Germ copied what happened on screen. How could he or any other human not be influenced by what happens in the shows and the fans' reaction? Hmm. On the other hand, if the TV series somehow bombs at the end and the books subsequently have a different ending and plot, then again, doesn't the reader feel cheated because it would feel like Germ switched his ending to avoid whatever the TV series did that failed? There'd be no way to prove otherwise, which we've talked a fair bit about. Either way, it seems the outcome is bad for book sales. Sure, diehards will buy the remaining books, but that's only a small percentage of book sales. Look at other examples of books, movies that have come out, before the books, such as the Star Wars novels, comparatively few books sold. What must the executives at Random House be thinking with all this? Did they approve the TV uh, right sale to HBO, or are they the ones crying while HBO and Germ laugh all the way to the bank? Uh, I don't think... So, okay. I don't know. I'm not a reader of the books myself. Sure. But there are plenty of people who are, and I think if you are a book reader... 
you're certainly going to buy the next one in the series. Yes. Um, no force on Earth. Could right. Really, like, even if the TV show is a complete disaster. Yeah. Even you, if the series was over. Like, if, if they had ended everything and it was completed and yeah. put a nice bow on it, you're still going to buy the book. Yeah. Uh, I think the show has made a lot more people read those books and that they're going to sell better than ever. Bingo. They are going to be number one on the bestsellers list day one. Like, like even if what you say is true here, Patrick, I, th- I think is your name, um, you got to grant that Game of Thrones on HBO has done huge things to the book sales. Yeah. And that has got to be make Random House. So, like, if HBO series never was made, how many less books total? Because there's two books to go that you can potentially right. hurt the sales. And as as Jim just pointed out, how poison can they make the well before I'll not drink the water? Answer, sure. no, no amount of poison. Right, because even if the show is shit, if the show is absolute dog piss Jones at the end, you're going to go, I hope the books are better. Yeah. And you're going to buy them in, in that effort. Or confirm in a vicarious kind of schadenfreude kind of way that George sure. Martin just shit the bed and this was his intention. Like, either way is compelling right. for me as a fan of the books. Sure. Like, one's more satisfying, but they're both compelling reasons to either confirm your worst fears or dispel them. Yeah. And if the show is great, uh, I think you want to see if there are differences in the books. Yeah. Uh, see, you, you know, I, I really enjoy this. And, like, okay, so so there are two points, I guess, book sales versus how people are going to feel about those final books after the show's concluded. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, personally, I don't feel I, – I wouldn't read that book after the show is done and say, oh, this ended exactly the same – Martin must have copied the show. He must right. have just gone in and said, yep, this is a satisfactory ending. Let me just type it down. Right. Uh, I would feel like Martin had the plan. He laid it out to the double Ds. Right. They executed it on screen, and this is the thing that he wanted to happen. Right. So to me, it wouldn't be unsatisfying in the way that, that he's describing there. Right. Um, now, it, you know, it wouldn't be quite as satisfying, I guess, as getting the book and saying, oh, my God, I was so surprised by the way this ended and all that kind of stuff it was exactly the same as the show but right i don't know that takes a certain amount of joy enjoyment away, away but i don't think it ruins it entirely right and I, I just i just called up this um infographic where they show the spikes in book sales for every <laughs> between every season premiere and season finale they have a, a bar chart uh-huh. and there's these this is a mountain range every time a, a, a finale it, it shoots to the roof yeah. So, like, and I'm looking, if I add up all these hundreds of thousands, you're talking millions and millions and millions of copies. Maybe mm. tens, a uh, ten of million. I wouldn't say tens, but 10 to 20 million copies sold here that might other, I mean, you know, it's strongly tied to the success of the show. Yeah. Wouldn't otherwise have, you know, uh, been, been, been bought or sold. So I think that if Random House is disappointed that... I mean, obviously, the best outcome is George keeps a pace with the series, and he's always got right. one book out before the next season. That would be the ideal circumstance for Random House. Yeah. But they can't be crying too hard because what I'm seeing here is a massive windfall mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have gotten had the adaptation not been successful. 
Having said that, you know, George Martin was successful before the series. Like, right. he was already hailed as, like, the American Tolkien in, like, articles from 2005. And there's already, you know, he'd been on New York Times bestseller list. So it's not like Game of Thrones was this darling sure. that was plucked from the dustbin. and from and obscurity, and, yeah. Yeah, like, that's not the case at all. I, you know, I'd never read it, but as a fan of fantasy in general, I had heard... You know, everyone had told me if you are a guy who doesn't like fantasy but wants to get into yeah. it, read these books. Like if you thought Tolkien was too stuffy or childish, or you know, uh, or you just don't like fantasy that much. Yeah, yeah. You can still read these and you'll enjoy it. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's very complicated. Again, if Random House is looking at the optimum scenario, this is not the optimum scenario. But on the other hand, it's far from worst case. I can't imagine like maybe casual fans that have picked up. You know, they're, they've been picking at the series and, like, always meant to buy, you know, get it. And if, if the series ends up shitty, that they'll be like, well, fuck this and disgust. But if you're already a right, book, right. It, I can't imagine it's going to impact your enjoyment. It, well, not your enjoyment. I can't imagine it's going to impact your curiosity if you were already a book fan. Sure, so that sure. means to me, you got the baseline. They keep their yep. legion of fans and they just added a baseline of cream on top of that. Yeah. That. You know, I'm with you, and you know, as far as enjoyment goes, maybe the show is great, and the you read the books and they suck, and you're disappointed by the books. Uh, I, I, I guess that's a possibility that there will be some portion of the audience that that feels that way. Yeah, um, especially if they're radically different. Right. Um, well, that I mean, that's the thing. If, maybe if, even people who started out reading the books, yeah, then got into the show. Now they finish the show and then they're left with the tail end of the books and sure. they're disappointed by the thing they started with because it's not the same as the show. Right. Small portion of people will feel that way, I'm sure. And and that's the thing. Like I will have a lot of interesting things to say if the final books come out, and especially if the HBO series is seen as kind of like a well, this is stereotypical, starts off strong and limps to the finish line. Yeah. And then the books are radically different and seen as the better versions. I'll always wonder always wonder sure. whether Martin d- did some noodling behind the scenes and like, Oh, this was the test bed for my ideas. I'm going to, you know, uh, th- that, that would be unfortunate. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think yeah. that's a very, like that's a sub 5% chance of that happening. I think that he's got an idea of where this story's going to end. The double D's have a very strong idea of what that is too. And the big bullet points to get there, it would be very surprising if the big themes, like the big, like, like, John and Danny getting married or getting together or who sits on Iron Throne. If those are different from the books, that's going to be a huge what the fuck. Yeah. Because the other thing is, you know, Martin's a prideful individual and he's also smart. Like, he knows, <laughs> like, if he changes it to save face, like, yeah, he could not to his, but you're going to have the double D's probably saying, like, what the fuck? And also people are just, even in absence of that conversation, you got to always wonder. Like, maybe he just, maybe they had some feud, like, season four. Uh, between the Double D's and Martin, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know what? I'm really going to fuck with these guys. I'm going to give them a false outline. Right. I'm going to drive this show into the ground, and <sighs> the books are going to come out. They're going to be so much better. You could get, I mean, what, couldn't <laughs> you, you get sued, sued for that? Like, I you could get your pro- ass handed to you. Pro- yeah. Plus, yeah. I think the Double D's, like, I, I feel like. But how like, do you prove it? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like the legend was that when they got together to you know, make the adaptation that he revealed a lot of these ending things. So like, because I would imagine like if, if the end story was really stupid or dumb, the double D's would be like, Oh, well I don't want to adapt the red wedding bad enough to have this egg on my face. Right. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we talked about that. It, it seems like everything's cordial. I mean, everyone seems bummed out. Sure, sure. But for all the best so. reasons, like not there's no acrimony. It's just like, man, I you know I really wanted to da- adapt this series that I'm a big fan of, and now I'm going to you know steal George's thunder. And George, obviously, this is not the way he wanted to go down. So yeah. I think everyone is bummed out all around. But for like the be- like the best kind of commiserate reasons, not like any kind of hostility or you did this and you didn't do this or mm-hmm. so. What do you what What are you going to do? But that's you're gonna you're gonna buy and read the books anyway. That's right. what you're gonna do. Like, I feel like that's you know, again, if you read the books before the show, I can't imagine you're gonna be turned off by the show so much that you're not gonna be reading yeah. out of curiosity. So from Random House's uh, perspective, if I was there if I was a businessman there, I'd be like, Nothing but good things has happened because of these book sales. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's my thoughts. Uh all right. That's all the the feedback we got for this week's episode. We'll be back uh, next week for episode two. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com, forums.baldmove.com, and we will see you then.